Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Do you love Selena? Like, really love? Whether you saw her live, saw the movie as a kid, or saw her looks all over TikTok, there's no shortage of reasons to stand the Queen of Tejano. And Stan, we do over three whole episodes of our podcast, Becoming an Icon. We're reminiscing as lifelong Selena fans, sharing hot takes and telling her story. Listen to Becoming an Icon on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search Becoming an Icon. You're listening to Fox Sports Radio. Radio. Welcome in, everybody. Fox Sports Radio, Fox Sports Saturday. Aaron Torres, Jason Martin here on a wild, wild Saturday night in college football and the MLB and a busy week in the NBA. Loaded, jam-packed show. We are, of course, broadcasting live from the Tyrac.com studios. Tyrac.com will help you get there. An unmatched selection, fast, free shipping, free road hazard protection, and over 10,000 recommended installers. Tyrac.com the way tire buying should be. DeSager just told you Kyle Schwarber home run. Phillies up 1-0 in the sixth in Houston. Phillies, of course, trying to force a game seven, which would be tomorrow night in Houston. And in college football, Jason Martin, it looks like it could be one of those nights. You know, we, we come in and we think, okay, there's six, seven, eight teams. They all sort of kind of control their own destiny. If they win, they'll be in good shape. Well, as we get on air here, Clemson trails Notre Dame 27 to nothing. Uh, LSU leading Alabama 14 to 9. Alabama, of course, already has the early season loss to Tennessee. So this game, a loss here would all but eliminate them, although they are now in LSU. Uh, they are in LSU territory, deep in LSU territory, driving for a potential touchdown. But busy night, Jason, and the college football playoff picture could look an awful lot different by the time we get off air today. Can I ask you a question? You can ask me a question. I might not have an answer, but you can ask me a question. Outside of Georgia. Hmm. Does anybody actually want to go to the college well, football playoff? Actually, there is an answer to that. It's TCU. Just yeah, nobody yeah. wants to see them there. So, uh, Jason, I think this speaks to uh, where where I know you want to go to and where I want to go to, frankly, as Alabama has just retaken the lead. Uh, they are now up 15-14 to 14 extra point pending. They may obviously go for two here. But Alabama, uh, you know, just a weird game on the road. They've looked terrible, mis- miscues everywhere. Uh, we didn't even get to it to lead the show. Uh, but Michigan up 35-17 to 17 on Rutgers, but they they trailed at the half uh clemson is obviously getting destroyed ohio state struggled today so to your question jason um not really not really you know we 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 thought that there was a group of about five six seven at the top and i think to your point the group at the top might be georgia and only Georgia here uh, in Week 10 of college football. I sent you guys, you and Bo, a text earlier as we were talking during the Tennessee-Georgia game. I said, number one, Georgia, two through 131, who gives a rip? 
because that's what it felt like after watching this. Now, I will say this. I think Tennessee wants it. I just don't think – I think they got overwhelmed today. I think they got overwhelmed by the atmosphere, and I think they got overwhelmed and swarmed by Georgia's defense, even without Nolan Smith. And we're going to talk a lot about that football game. But I'm watching a 7-1 and Alabama team that just flat out isn't very good, in my opinion. Not, not compared to the level of what we would come to expect. Ohio State – we got to stop this. Like this Penn State thing last week, you come back and you look good in the last 10 minutes, but you look lethargic for the first 50. It's like Tim Tebow in the NFL. It's like good in the last drive. Good enough, <laughs> sure. at least in his first season, to get a couple of things done, but nobody wanted to watch four quarters of it. Michigan struggled against Rutgers. Now they've pulled away. They're going to be fine. Clemson, we're going to need to have a large discussion about Clemson's offense here tonight on this program. And then, of course, you've got, as you mentioned, TCU. And then I've been thinking, who is your Heisman front runner at this point? It was Hooker probably entering the day. C.J. Stroud certainly didn't make up any ground, going 10 for 26 against Northwestern. Bryce Young's having a rough night against LSU. You know who, you know who to me, if I had a – like, Hendon has still got to be up there because it's Georgia's defense – that really, really hounded him today. But what about Caleb? Like, I'm looking at Caleb Williams, and I'm seeing a guy that has 24 touchdowns to one interception right now (laughs) at USC. And I'm thinking, is anybody better in college football right now than Caleb Williams? And I'm having a hard time coming up with somebody. Well, as far as the Heisman race is concerned, one, Caleb Williams, this is the fun part of doing this show, he and USC are set to kick off here in just a little bit, so they haven't even played yet, so he could improve on those numbers by the end of the night. Uh, USC hosting Cal, 10.30 Eastern time kickoff, so we'll keep you updated on that one throughout our show. As far as the Heisman's concerned, you know, it's a it's a 15-16 week award, and I think we get caught up in a moment. Um, and, I, and listen, I think if Tennessee finishes 11-1, whether they make a playoff or not, um, um, it's going to take somebody else really elevating themselves right now to not to, for for Hen and Hooker to not win it. Um, and by the way, you know what? Let, let's just start. We'll, we'll get to Clemson and Alabama in a minute. Let's start with Georgia because you know. Let me ask you a question. I mean, one of the conversations that we had, you myself, producer Bo, during that Georgia Tennessee game, I thought it was a great point that you brought up earlier in the day. Was that you know? I don't think we're having the same conversation uh maybe not never mind i was i was gonna start to make that the stetson bennett heisman trophy you can't when you look at his numbers well i just i did look at him i coming into today nine touchdowns three interceptions so i apologize but you know let's start with that georgia tennessee game and we are going to have plenty of time maybe after the first break we'll talk a little clemson a little bama as those games go final clemson trailing 28 nothing bama has just taken a 15 14 lead on lsu um so Tennessee, Georgia. So first of all, you know, we'll talk about it from the Tennessee perspective in a minute. Um, I just said what your reaction was, and and I'll t- I'll tell the audience. I, you know, I'm transparent with the audience here. I, I thought maybe by the end of the night, you know, Alabama off of a bye. Um, you know, they lost by three at Tennessee, easily could have won that game. Would we be talking, oh, maybe we forgot about Bama? Well, I don't think we forgot about Bama, but I do think Georgia established itself unquestionably as the best team in the country, Jason. And, and I'll just say a few things and toss it over to you. One, I think whether he has Heisman Trophy caliber stats or not, uh, you know, Stetson Bennett does remain maybe the most underappreciated player in college football. Two, you know, I just think Georgia, it's funny because they play in the East. There's not as many high-profile games. They don't have the matchups with the Bamas and the whoever's during the regular season. 
this just go. We were having the, the conversation on night one after Georgia smoked Oregon. This is the best team in college football. They reestablish itself. I have some other thoughts, but I, I just think we're going to come out of today probably having a lot of questions about if Clemson's completely eliminated, maybe if Bama's completely eliminated, but maybe the biggest story is Georgia reestablishing, hey, you spent a lot of time talking about Bama and Tennessee and Clemson and Michigan and Ohio State. We're, you got to get through us to get that, that, that trophy at the end of the season. Yeah, I, I was flat wrong. I had Tennessee winning the game. I didn't think this Georgia team was last year's Georgia team, and I'm still not sure they are, but they are the class of college football right now. And this moment over this last couple of years, this is the Georgia world that we are living in. It's no longer the Alabama world that we're living in. We're seeing that again right now. Are they going to outlast LSU in a tough game on the road? Yeah, and that's what good teams – or they might, and that's what good teams do. I don't think this Alabama team is particularly standout outside of Bryce Young, Will Anderson, and a couple of guys here and there. But Georgia, the defense, Nolan Smith's out with a torn pack. He's your emotional leader. He's your vocal leader. He is the leader of the defense. He's the IQ of the defense. That defense took apart and outstanding. I'm, this was not a Fugazi offense that they saw. This was not a Mirage Tennessee team that didn't deserve to be ranked where they were. This is a darn good football team. The Josh Heupel, who I think will be your walkaway coach of the year in college football, has put together in Knoxville. It's been an outst- it's been an outstanding year, whether they finish with one loss or whatever, and they're probably going to stat pad for the rest of the year against South Carolina, Missouri, and Vanderbilt. But they're legit. No one's been able to stop them whatsoever. Stopping them means can you keep them under 35 points. Georgia stymied them all day. Hendon Hooker was on the ground seemingly every time you looked up. He's overthrowing guys, and I don't think all of a sudden he forgot how to throw. He was under duress. That crowd made it 10 times worse. Their offensive line basically crumbled in the face of Georgia's defense. And then on the flip side – Every time Bennett needed to make a big throw, it was there for him. He had the protection. He had Washington, who's a gigantic 6'7 tight end, who's basically another lineman for them on the outside. They're just better than everybody. And I think that you see, Aaron, how important recruiting and having the right guys on the field is. That's the old Alabama. That's why this whole – and I think it's you – I've heard others say it, but I think it's you that that I heard first say it. So you're getting all the credit for it. Let's do it. I love When you said Georgia is the new Alabama. I think that's the accurate way to look at it because that's what it was. It would be Alabama would run into these other teams that had outstanding years. Some of them were phony and were proven to be, and some of them were legit, but they didn't look legit on the field there. Like my wife asked me, she goes, so is Tennessee just not playing well? I said, well, I've seen them play better, but most really good teams have a knack for making their opponents look ten times worse than they actually are. And I think that's what you saw today, was Georgia just being that much better. Same thing with Oregon. Oregon's really good. We've seen it ever since. Georgia is just far and above better than everybody else. They have better players. Kirby Smart and his staff have done an outstanding job. They run the right scheme. Stetson Bennett plays within himself. 
I, I am incredibly impressed because I did not think they could do to Tennessee's offense what they did to Tennessee's offense tonight. Zero doubt, and I am somebody who also picked Tennessee to win outright. Um, and I, I think my exact thought is exactly what you said to lead the segment. You said, does anybody want to be in the playoff? And Tennessee is the one team that they didn't do anything wrong. They just ran into a team that is phenomenal. And, and this, to me, right. um, is, you know, it, it, it speaks to exactly what you said. I think this is something that you don't have to look at at any stat, any this, any that. All you got to do is go back and look at the recruiting rankings and look at how rosters are built. And I don't know if that's an unsexy thing to talk about on national sports talk radio, but we're talking about a, a Tennessee team that that fired a coach 18 months ago. They had a ton of players enter the transfer portal. Um, and I think Hennon Hooker, I think Josh Heupel, and probably some of the skill position guys like a Jalen Hyatt have kind of masked the fact that this isn't a team that's built like Georgia this isn't even a team that's built like Bama even if Bama isn't living up to the expectations that we have on them they're not built like Ohio State they're not even built like Clemson they're built like Oklahoma was with Lincoln Riley they're built like one of those kind of teams that can outscore you we knew their defense was the Achilles heel coming in and I think when we talked about this stat in the chat earlier Aaron that their pass defense entering the game was 127th in the country and we said well a lot of that's garbage yards you add the Bryce Young game and one other game where they really went crazy with yardage. It might not be real, but they got exposed a little bit here. Like there were there were many times where Georgia receivers had way too much cushion in the open field. And I know the play calling was good, but the defense was not. The secondary was not. That's where you look at it and you're like, Tennessee plays a lot like a Big 12 team sometimes on offense, which is a huge compliment. But you don't want them to look like a Big 12 team on defense, and that's at times what Georgia made them look like. Even to the extent of guys like McIntosh and their running backs being able to truck over and just make the defense look silly. This is the Fox Sports Radio tailgate presented by the Big Green Egg. Nothing beats the flavor of live fire cooking on a big green egg it's the most versatile grill you'll ever own backed by a lifetime warranty roll with the best shop online for free delivery at biggreenegg.com lifetime warranty free home delivery biggreenegg.com as great as the college football has been today we also have a potential clinching world series game deciding world series game in houston and we have an update your don alvarez has just hit a three-run home run houston has a three to one lead in the bottom of the sixth inning one out and of course if Houston wins they are your world champions we will keep you updated on this we will keep you updated on everything going on in the world of college football come back react to more of a busy day in college football later on we'll of course talk the Kyrie Irving story Mark Medina will join us in hour two. Yeah, Jason Mar, we got uh, you know a lot of fun stuff you know on the field with with baseball and college football and even the NFL a little bit later. Not as much fun uh, in the NBA right now. So we got a busy Saturday night coming up. Jason Martin, Aaron Torres, we are just getting started here till two a.m. Eastern. Fox Sports Radio. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. Hey, it's me, Rob Parker. Check out my weekly MLB podcast, Inside the Parker, for 22 minutes of piping hot baseball talk featuring the biggest names and newsmakers in the sport. Whether you believe in analytics or the eye test, 
we've got all the bases covered. New episodes drop every Thursday, so do yourself a favor and listen to Inside the Parker with Rob Parker on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcast. Do you love Selena? Like, really love? Whether you saw her live, saw the movie as a kid, or saw her looks all over TikTok, there's no shortage of reasons to stand the Queen of Tejano. And Stan, we do over three whole episodes of our podcast, Becoming an Icon. We're reminiscing as lifelong Selena fans, sharing hot takes and telling her story. Listen to Becoming an Icon on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search Becoming an Icon. Welcome back, everybody. Fox Sports Radio, Aaron Torres, Jason Martin here on a Saturday night, right before the break. Jordan Alvarez, three-run home run. Houston leading 3-1 in the bottom of the sixth. Phillies have not gotten out of the bottom of the sixth. Runner on second for Houston, and we have a pitching change. And we do have an update, Jason. LSU 17, Alabama 15. LSU has kicked a field goal to retake the lead. Uh, and I'll just tell you, Jason, you, know, you talked in segment one about you, know, you being wrong on Tennessee. By the way, I was too. Um, I'm Alabama, you know, I, I just listen, I, I've been and I think you and I have both been. We I think we were on this, frankly, before most people last year. But this year, you struggle against Texas, you lose to Tennessee. I really went back and thought about that Tennessee game and said, look, a ton of stuff went wrong. They still had a chance to win late. They had the ball. They were in field goal range. They didn't run out the clock. And I'm not going to get into all the logistics of a game that was five or six weeks ago. But I just bring it up because I I thought to myself, they easily could have beaten Tennessee. And they're coming off of a bye. And Nick Saban is so money historically when he has more than enough time to prepare or, or more than a week to prepare, excuse me. And I sit there and say, you know, even if Alabama wins, somehow survives this game, and they are into LSU territory, 454 left, they, they, they trail 17 to 15. This, ju- this ain't, uh, you know, my, my, my dad's Alabama. This ain't my older brother's Alabama. This, there is just something that is, and by the way, this is no disrespect to LSU. It's not saying that, that if they win, it's not deserved and all that. But this Alabama team, man, there's just something that is not right with this group, man. Yeah, that's right. They're they're still a good football team. They're still obviously loaded with talent, but we talked about the lack of speed on the outside. The receivers aren't very fast. Their secondary is not what it once was. Bryce Young is a and he's we're actually watching it right now in real time. Oh my goodness. If you aren't watching that, flip over Mercy. and watch the replay of it. Bryce Young, way, as I'm has, talking. Go ahead, Jason. Go ahead, yeah. No, I don't even have to say anything other than Alabama just retook the lead on an absurd play that Bryce Young had no business making and ended up being a walk-in touchdown for his receiver. But they're not across the board anywhere close to the team that I think people thought they were going to be coming into this year and certainly what they've come to expect during much of the Saban era in Tuscaloosa. This is just not one of those kind of teams at all. Like... I don't know what Ohio State exactly is right now. I think Michigan is pretty good. Clemson is showing themselves to be inept offensively, it seems like, and they're, we're probably not going to hear from them again after tonight. You've still got TCU out there, but they're probably not going to get an invite, one would think, to actually get a shot in this thing. But if you look at – that that to me is where today was so striking – 
Georgia just like lapped the field for the third or fourth time in one game. And we were, I, I think coming in, we were thinking we're not sure what they were. And the biggest reason why was because, well, you know, Kent State. And that Missouri game that was taking place while we were on the air about a month ago. And and they're kind of sleepwalking. But when they had to hit the extra gear, it was there for them. Maybe the same thing is true of Ohio State. And we're going to see that against Michigan in a few weeks. But this was the biggest game in college football this year. Played today. And Georgia dominated it. 27-13 to doesn't really indicate how dominant that game felt from a Georgia perspective. It's not like they were getting a bunch of crazy great calls from the officials. I mean, they had two points taken from them off a safety that should have been called, and then they immediately scored a touchdown off the punt that they forced on that very same play. They just looked so much better, and it was supposed to be Georgia-Alabama. Maybe we're looking at Georgia-Alabama again. Georgia is in a completely different universe to me right now than Alabama is. You know, I don't. I don't think there's any doubt. My only thought is, I mean, they they have this quarterback that is just out of his world, out of this world, and I guess in theory it is going to make you know it's go- like you know I- I'm sitting here thinking as you're talking, like for, let me just ask you, what is Alabama's record if Bryce Young is not its quarterback? They're they're, they're at least a three loss team after today, right? Like like they lose they, they, Texas, they lose to Texas, they would have lost to Texas. Even with Ewers going down, they would have lost to Texas. They probably lose to Texas A&M, shockingly, as bad as Texas A&M has been. They're, they would lose this game almost assuredly. Um, so, yeah, at, at least. And, of course, they already lost to Tennessee, so I would say maybe even a four-loss team at this point, which is why I said, I, I mean, I, Caleb is playing outstanding football. The dude that's most valuable to his club is Bryce because he is making them look so much better than they otherwise would because that whole like wins above replacement stat got to be astronomical for Bryce Young because I have no idea. And I think I even asked the question directly about a month ago. I have no idea what Alabama is without Bryce Young, but it's not something I'm interested in seeing at all. Even with Bryce Young, it's like eventually you've put a lot on his shoulders that's why if you were to if you were to tell me he should still get the Heisman, I would at least entertain that because I'm not sure anybody has meant more to their team than he has to Alabama. It's an interesting conversation, right? And and because one, I I do think if we're talking about the most valuable player in college football, um, I think you know he's right up there with Hendon Hooker, right? And and you know it could come down to uh, which one is there in the end, and does he beat Georgia? And I mean, I'll tell you this, you know, and, and I know it'd be tough because Tennessee right now doesn't really have a path to the SEC championship game. If he beats Georgia and gets them back to the playoff after what he did to beat Texas, what he's doing tonight against LSU, I'll take it a step further. You know, what he frankly did to Tennessee to even keep them in that game. um, I think it's it's pretty hard to make the argument that he wouldn't be again. And and I know this is hypotheticals, you know, five weeks down the road. um, But I, you know, it's so tough because you don't want to minimize everything that Hendon Hooker has done this year for his team, but you sit there and say, man, I don't know where this Alabama team is without him. And I'll be blunt. How about this? The defense statistically is fine and all that. I don't know what they do. Like, like where does Alabama really scare you without, except at that quarterback position? They don't have the play. If they have the playmakers, they're not 
you know, being put in a position to succeed, and maybe that's our boy Bill O'Brien. The offensive line isn't good. The defense statistically has been good, but they got shredded by Hennon Hooker. They got shredded by Quinn Ewers in one half of football. Um, and so I look at them, and I don't, you know, I, sometimes I just sit there and I say, okay, what does this team do well? What do they not do well? I don't know that Alabama's really all that elite anywhere. Like, like I'll just give you an example. I know I'm, I'm rambling, but you look at that Georgia game. It's like, oh, they're elite on the defensive front. They're elite in the secondary. They're elite at the offensive line. They're elite at yes. running back. And it's like, I don't know that Alabama's great anywhere, except that they just have the best player on the field every time they step on the field. Yeah, they're elite at quarterback. That's basically it. And I think Gibbs is a heck of a player. And I, I want to see what he can do as he continues to, to get older and more experienced. And I want to see what he looks like with a little bit more talent around him at the receiver position. But I like him quite a bit. But they're Bryce Young. Bryce Young is exquisite. That's what they are. Honestly, that's kind of what you saw at Oklahoma last year when Caleb Williams got in the game. Sure. It's like Caleb was just so good that it really didn't even matter what else was going on. Even if it was average in some spots, Caleb was always going to give you a chance. Sure. I think that's what Bryce Young offers Alabama. When all other things are equal, or even when they're a little deficient in a certain area, Bryce Young is going to be your cheat code. He's going to be able to create spots where you are able to stay in games or maybe even surpass obstacles that otherwise you would have absolutely no chance without him to do. But that's right. Your point about Georgia is well taken. Georgia is elite at tight end. They're elite on the offensive line. They're elite at pass rush even without Nolan Smith. They, like You can point out where they are stellar across the field in a way that Quite frankly, not only can you not do with Alabama, you can't do it with virtually anybody else in the country except you know that Michigan can run the football. You know they can run the football, and they play pretty solid defense, but they don't play Georgia-level defense, I'm sorry. Well, and right after Bryce Young makes that, you know, frankly, magical play to give Alabama the lead uh, 21-17, LSU right back in Alabama territory. We're going to keep you updated on this one. There's some updates pretty much everywhere across college football. So this is what I'm going to do. I am going to shut up. And I'm going to hand it over to Steve DeSager because, DeSager, we use the word what's trending. You got a lot to catch us up on, my friend. The answer is everything. Everything. We we will get to more college football in a moment, but I must pass along this college football score because SMU is hosting Houston. SMU scored three touchdowns in the first quarter and scored five touchdowns in the second quarter. They're now early in the fourth. SMU 70 to 56 over Houston, the FBS record for most total points in regulation in a game is 137. They're at 126 total in this game with still nine and a half minutes to go. Man. That record set by Pitt versus Syracuse in 2016. Again, SMU, because Houston just scored, SMU's lead is 70 to 56 now with nine and a half minutes left. Game six of the World Series is on Fox TV, and the Houston Astros, top seed from the American League, winners of 106 games in the regular season, might be clinching the title tonight. They're already up three games to two. The game was scoreless into the sixth inning. Kyle Schwarber, solo homer, top of the sixth to break the tie. But Jordan Alvarez, who had been two for 21 at the plate in this World Series, launched a three-run homer off the bullpen, bottom of the sixth. And by that, I mean off one of the bullpen arms that had come in, although it did... (laughs) 
<laughs> exceed the bullpen. 450 feet to center field on the top of the batter's eye is where it landed. Some fan who never in a thousand years thought he would get a baseball from tonight's game got that baseball, and Houston leads now 4-1 over the Phillies in the top of the seventh inning. Wow. College football, Georgia dominated Tennessee today, 27-13. Georgia led 21-3 early in the second quarter. Number two, Ohio State was a 21-7 winner at Northwestern. Buckeyes trailed 7-0 late in the first half in the wind and the rain. And then there's the game at Notre Dame tonight. Number four for the moment, Clemson is trailing the Irish 35-7 to with under two minutes to go. Number five, Michigan at 8-0 was trailing at the half at Rutgers. Michigan now has just kicked a field goal to make it 45-17 at Rutgers with still about 10-11 minutes to go there. You mentioned the Alabama game and the Tide back in the lead at LSU. 21-17, two and a half minutes left. Bryce Young had thrown an interception in the end zone first half, but here in the second half, an amazing touchdown pass escaping the pocket under pressure pressure and heaving it downfield also in progress number 14 utah leads arizona 38 10 with eight and a half minutes left end of the third quarter at nc state wolfpack ahead of wake forest 27 to 14 and the two late games of note are about to start it's uh, fs1 is going to have number 12 ucla at arizona state and number nine usc is hosting cal caleb williams who you referred to earlier missing two of his best receivers due to injury again tonight against cal i'm not sure it will matter also among the games in progress louisville at home was tied with james madison at halftime 10 10 it's now louisville 27 10 in the lead with eight minutes to go florida state led at miami at halftime 31 3 it's now seminoles 38 3 with 10 minutes to go to Sega, we got Update. update. Go ahead, my friend. LSU has just thrown a touchdown pass with under two minutes to go, retaking the lead against Alabama. What a crazy Mason game. Mason Taylor, the, the I think, nephew of Fox Sports Radio's Joy Taylor. So, Oh, really? So related yes. to Jason. Then. That is Jason's Didn't son, yeah. First and goal, seven-yard touchdown pass for LSU. So for the moment 23 21 we'll see what they do with the extra point hmm. see bryce young, bryce young, they're gonna they, they need to not put a camera on bryce young on the sidelines because he's probably just like really you you asking me to do this again huh like <laughs> i've got to go do this again. i guess all right fine me just me that's all you just me yeah just me <laughs> <laughs> earlier today number seven tcu won again coming back to beat texas tech 34 24 in the nba milwaukee is nine and oh they won without Giannis tonight beating oklahoma City 108-94 overtime wins for Atlanta and Sacramento and a crazy MLS final on Fox TV before the World Series game tonight. LAFC tied the game against Philadelphia late in extra time and then beat them in penalty kicks for the title. And the Breeders' Cup Classic was won by flight line by eight and a half lengths. Again, World Series game six is top of the seventh. Houston 4-1 over the Phillies. Back to you. Thank you, Steve Sager. This is Fox Sports Radio, Fox Sports Saturday, Aaron Torres, Jason Martin, coming to you live from the TireRack.com studios. Uh, as the Sager just told you, Phillies trailing Houston 4-1, to top of the seventh. Obviously, if Houston wins, we have a new World Series champion. And in college football, you talk about uh, a barn burner down in Baton Rouge. LSU leads 24-21, to under two minutes to go. A Jaden Daniels touchdown pass to Mason Taylor. We'll keep you updated on that one, Jason. I'll tell you, you know, this is the cliche like Tom Brady or whoever. 
you left a lot of time on the clock for Bryce Young, but I mean, for, for it, it, Bryce Young's going to have to be um, basically the best drive of his of of an already incredible career because this is wild, man. Alabama trailing LSU with just a few minutes to go in this game. Yeah, we're getting used to watching Alabama trailing later in games this season. It seems like I was thinking about this while DeSager was talking. So Ohio State today against Northwestern, 21-7, not impressive at all. Uh, For the second week in a row, really. I mean, they looked impressive in the fourth quarter against Penn State because they're better than Penn State. And Penn State and James Franklin, that's not – that hadn't worked a lot in terms of closing out really solid opponents generally throughout his tenure. But he usually plays them tough. I would almost argue that Tennessee should still be number two tomorrow. In terms of if I was just saying who the better team is, I know that's not how it would be ranked. Like Michigan probably will get into the top four, certainly. If Clemson's going to lose, they will. But they're, they're going to move up pretty heavily. Ohio State will be there. And then maybe Tennessee will sit there at four, even with TCU being undefeated. But even though Tennessee got beat pretty handily today by Georgia, I have so much respect for Georgia at this stage that I still believe I think Tennessee – would beat Michigan, would beat Ohio State right now, would beat some of these teams. Tell me if I'm nuts. I don't think you're nuts. Um, I think it opens a tricky Pandora's box if you're the committee, specifically with TCU, right? Because essentially what you're saying with TCU, you already have Alabama ahead of them. Um, And let's just say for the sake of argument that Alabama survives this game. You're going to have three teams from the SEC with one loss ahead of TCU in the college football playoff poll. And then I think you do set up a scenario where, I mean, if Alabama, and I know I'm getting crazy hypothetical here, but if Alabama beats Georgia, you have three one-loss SEC teams. And, we're and I mean, how does TCU jump them? So it's weird. I don't like want to turn this into a TCU conversation, but I think the point that you make stands, which is the idea of, should we punish Tennessee for going on the road, playing the team that we deem number three in the country? Um, that Oregon win that Georgia has looks better every week, so it's not as though, like, oh, they haven't played anybody. We had no idea they were this good. No, they destroyed a great Oregon team that has been basically a, a steamrolling everybody since that game. So to answer your question, like, I don't think it's inconceivable at all, or nor do I think it's like a, the, necessarily even the wrong thing to do to not punish Tennessee for losing on the road to Georgia it just sets up this weird slippery slope you know what I mean and maybe it's only one team in TCU and maybe you're banking on them losing at some point in in the regular season it'd just be interesting to see and 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 we'll see and by the way we got to see what happens with this Alabama game because that that changes some things in that narrative as well and I know I kind of ducked your question Jason but I think on the one hand, I, I, I here's the thing. I would have no problem with it, but then it sets up this weird thing where it's going to be hard for pretty much anybody to surpass Tennessee at that point, um, even if uh, – right. you, know, you know what I'm saying? I think it's more – I'm not thinking that you actually do it in terms of the rankings, and this is why I favor the expanded playoff, just because I don't think that you need to have to make these kind of arguments. Even if you only believe there are two or three teams that can win it, go ahead and let them go ahead and win it. But maybe they have a little bit more or maybe they get a buy or whatever else. But at least you give everybody the opportunity, especially if you have an undefeated TCU, it's going to be on the outside looking in. I think more I'm just thinking it from the eye test and from my observations, who the best teams are right now. 
it's Georgia and it's everybody else, but I still think Tennessee is number two for me. Like, I like them better than Ohio State right now. I like them better than Michigan right now. I certainly like them better than Clemson. I like them better than TCU. I like them better than Alabama, who they've already beaten. That's, I think that's more the experiment I'm doing. Not that that's the way that they're going to be ranked in the college football playoff, and your point is well taken. Just that in terms of the best teams, mm-hmm. if everything was in a vacuum, I think Tennessee is still the second-best team in the country that I've seen this year in terms of what they've accomplished – and, and what they're capable of doing. Well, a good thing for Tennessee is one way or another with this Alabama-LSU game, they're going to have a good win coming out of this because they, of course, won at LSU. If LSU wins, that looks great. And, of course, they beat Alabama. If Alabama survives, uh, then, of course, that Alabama win looks even more impressive. Alabama into LSU territory. LSU up 24-21. to 21. The clock has just gone under a minute. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back. We're going to get you to the final of this Alabama LSU game. Clemson, by the way, it's all but over as Notre Dame has pulled away in that one 35 to 14 with little over a minute to go. We'll keep you updated on this thriller in Baton Rouge. This is Fox Sports Radio. Do you love Selena? Like, really love? Whether you saw her live, saw the movie as a kid, or saw her looks all over TikTok, there's no shortage of reasons to stand the Queen of Tejano. And Stan, we do over three whole episodes of our podcast, Becoming an Icon. We're reminiscing as lifelong Selena fans, sharing hot takes and telling her story. Listen to Becoming an Icon on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search Becoming an Icon. Welcome back, everybody. Fox Sports Radio, Aaron Torres, Jay Smart. We do have an update from Baton Rouge, Louisiana, Alabama. Kicks a field goal with under 30 seconds to go. Ties the game up at 24, Jason. And we are headed to overtime. LSU 24, Alabama 24. And one of Bryce Young's receivers dropped a ball. It would have been a first down on the outside. He also overshot a route on the last drive, the same receiver. This is what I'm talking about. Again, like, who knows who's going to win the game? And Bryce Young still had him in the had him in a shot, had him in an opportunity, and was let down by one of his skill position guys in a crucial spot. That's just not what you expect from Alabama. It's not what you've come to see from them. Maybe it's a sign of things to come, or maybe this team's just not quite as talented as those. And I think that's that's what we are coming to learn increasingly. By the way, not as talented as those. Uh, Clemson twenty twenty two. That's all I have to say. Yeah. So really quickly on Clemson, by the way, uh, we will have Mark Medina about 8.25 or, or excuse me, 11.25 Eastern, 8.25 Pacific to talk Kyrie Irving. So uh, we will talk a little Kyrie here at some point, but th- this night of college football is insane. By the way, USC trailing early 7 nothing in that one. So, uh, you know, the, 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 big, the big headlines and the big storylines are not done yet. Um but let's real quick quick on Clemson is it, it's such a funny thing man is you know every year we always there's always a couple teams that late into the year you know they ain't it but you just keep waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and sit there and say I don't I don't know but they just keep winning and you sit there and say is this team really about to do it and then we have and, and then something happens and this was exactly what happened with Clemson tonight um you know, I, 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 I've tried to talk myself into them. They had a couple really good defensive performances in the middle of the year. 
But the quarterback play, it always felt like it was going to come back to bite him. Tonight, just a weird night. Um, DJ Uilaganlele, uh, 27 of 39, 191 yards passing. That's an average of four yards per completion. One touchdown, one interception. How about this? Dabo switches to Cade Klubnick. He throws one pass. It's an interception. They go back to DJ. So I'll say this. We talked early in the year about a coach in Jim Harbaugh. Why can't he just make a decision on the starter? I think we're at that point with Dabo is, dude, you can't keep playing this yo-yo juggle game. And I don't know what it means, but Clemson takes the loss tonight. And I, and I think their their playoff hopes are very much on the brink right now. Well, I mean, I made the point when they put Klubnik in against Syracuse that you might have destroyed DJ. Not that you didn't have some kind of excellent relationship with him, but it might have wrecked his own confidence in your confidence in him. And then Klubnik comes in, and if you're going to do it, then Klubnik comes in and throws four passes in the game. They don't look much better offensively with him in the game. And then tonight you put him in for one pass and then take him back out. This is the classic example of what you've always heard. If you have two quarterbacks, you have none. They don't have a quarterback. They don't. Uh, if they had one, he was lost against Syracuse. If DJ was playing, taking him out, I think I think that was it. I think that was that was pretty much a wrap. And then tonight, you see Clemson does not have a quarterback. Their defense hasn't been all world like some people thought they were going to be coming into the season. And they've lost their coordinators. They are right now in a spot where it could go one of two ways. Swinney in the future and his reticence to kind of jump on board with some of the new things that are happening in college football would make me very very worried if I was in South Carolina right now near that campus well and you know he's stubborn I mean I think that's the theme of the week with Kyrie Irving with some other stuff going on in sports is he's stubborn and you know now to your point I mean how do you not feel as though you've not only wrecked the confidence of one quarterback, but two? Um, you know, you, yeah. you've benched D- DJ twice, but it's clear you don't really have confidence in Cade Klubnick. And and I think there was part of me that said, I, I think he wants to be loyal to the veteran. But at the same time, you know, one, loyalty goes out the window when you have a chance to win a championship. But two, you know, we have seen Dabo make the move to another quarterback before. It was called Trevor Lawrence, and I'm not comparing this this freshman Kate Klubnick to Trevor Lawrence, but what I am saying is when Dabo knew that Trevor Lawrence was the guy, he made the move and he made it with conviction. He didn't look back, and Clemson won a national title and made three straight playoffs with Trevor Lawrence as the quarterback. That has not happened here, uh, and Jason, as we uh, you know wrap up our one um, you know they're very much on the line, and now they—I'll tell you this—we could talk about it a little bit next hour. I think he's got a really tough decision to make because, in theory, they're not eliminated from the playoff picture, Jason. Um, but uh, you know they got to win out, and he's got to decide right now who's the quarterback. So Fox Sports Radio, Fox, yeah, yeah, that's right. So, yeah, uh, we we could continue that conversation. By the way, Mark Medina joins us about a half an hour from now to talk Kyrie Irving. So we got plenty left. Alabama has the ball in overtime. They are driving, obviously in field goal range, starting with the four, short field. We'll keep you up updated there so much going on busy saturday night Aaron torres jason martin fox sports radio
Welcome in, everybody. Hour two, Fox Sports Radio. Aaron Torres, Jason Martin. We are broadcasting live from the Tyrec.com studios. Tyrec.com will help you get there an unmatched selection, fast free shipping, free road hazard protection, over 10,000 recommended installers. Tyrec.com, the way tire buying should be. DeSager just got you caught up. We head to the bottom of the eighth inning. Astros leading four to one in. At home, excuse me, obviously, it's the bottom of the inning. And they will need three outs to knock the Phillies out of the World Series and win themselves a World Series. And then in Baton Rouge, Alabama has retaken the lead. We are in overtime. A Will Reichard field goal with under 30 seconds left sent us to overtime. Alabama up 30-24. to 24. Extra point pending, Jason. I actually want to go in a weird direction real Ooh. quickly. First off, just to just to close the Clemson loop. If I'm Dabo, I go with Cade from here on out because I, I need to find out what I've got. Let I me... think the season's over. And go ahead. No, go ahead. no. I, I was just going to say my thought on this is the same, and I'll tell you why, and I'll, I'll throw, toss it back to you, is because you recruited him saying you're the guy in 2023. And if the season is over, and it's not, I mean, a lot of stuff could happen, but I mean, you really break down all of the stuff that Clemson would need to make the playoff. I don't have a problem with it. You recruited DJ to be a three and a three and done, as in come in redshirt as a freshman behind Trevor Lawrence, play two years, go to the NFL, and you recruited Cade Klubnik, telling him that in 2023 this is your team. And so, to your point, you got to get him ready because he's the future. And I think this comes down to, ironically, something we talked about Brian Kelly last year was Brian Kelly left Notre Dame because he knew that he didn't have a championship caliber roster. And I bring it up with Dabo because I don't. He's seen what a championship team looks like, and he has to know this team yes. isn't and so if it isn't then you have to start building for next year back to you jason i didn't mean to cut you off no that's fine i said the season was over i didn't really mean it that way i guess it's this he's cheated on dj twice now he cheated on him against syracuse and brought in Cade and let him throw four passes then he cheated on him for a play tonight and let him throw one ball and then put dj back in the game clearly Dabo also has seen what top level quarterback play looks like on a national championship team. He saw it with Trevor. He saw it with Deshaun Watson. He can tell DJ's not it because he keeps being so wishy-washy. If that's the case, go ahead and pull the pull the plug. Pull the plug because you've got USC coming up on November 26th. If you've got one loss and things were to break your way with a bunch of other teams, maybe you'd still have some kind of outside shot to get into the top four. But if you feel a certain type of way already about DJ against Syracuse and against Notre Dame, then what's going to happen against SC? You're going to be able to score with Caleb Williams. If you feel in your heart, as you said, that you don't have a championship roster offensively, it's pretty much been Will Shipley and insert name here that no one knows, then go ahead and bring in the young kid. Let him get prepared for the future now. Go ahead and get those reps in. You need to find out what you have in him and go ahead and get that learning process started because I hate to say it because, I mean, DJ's a really good young man, but it just hadn't worked out 
it, it hasn't worked out. And so this is not a sport where you can just sit back and play the I want to be nice to this kid game. And, and we've already seen that from Dabo in the past when he made the switch from Kelly Bryant to Trevor Lawrence. If Cade's not it, then you'll find that out. If he's not it right now and you can't and you don't feel like you can turn over the keys to him, well, you barely have the keys in the hands of the guy that are there. So I would go ahead and make that move. So that was the only thing I was going to say there. But on the flip side, I do want to say – Real, real, real quick, sudden, real quick, real quick. I don't mean to Marcus cut you off. Freeman has turned things around. We'll we'll discuss that in a second. But the man who Marcus Freeman replaced is one play away from beating Alabama. It took one play for LSU to tie things up 30-30. Jaden Daniels, the LSU quarterback, a 25-yard touchdown run. LSU lined up for two, Jason, to win the game. And I don't Mm -hmm. know, I'm not X's and O's guru guy, but Brian Kelly saw something he did not like, sprinted down the field. But they got the offense walking back out on the field, Jason. One play for LSU to beat Alabama in year one of the Brian Kelly era, Alabama leads 31-30. to It's overtime. LSU lining up to go for two. They're walking back on the field. Can you feel the tension, Jason Martin, in the air? I mean, this is something else. It's 31-30. to One play. You would. This is unthinkable to do against the Alabamas of old, but LSU's moved the ball on them tonight. And this is what you do. You don't you don't even give Bryce Young the opportunity. You go ahead and try to get it done right now. You have the opportunity. So here it is. Well, and right at, you know, Alabama looks confused. They're running guys off the field. The oh. ball is snapped. We have a catch and a score in LSU in Baton Rouge. How about this, Jason Martin? We have a final in Baton Rouge. LSU 32. Alabama 31, LSU in overtime, goes for two, beats Alabama 32 to 31. Were you ready for this one, Jason Martin? Were you ready for this one? No. Look, this was the number 10 team in the country, but it didn't feel that way. It felt like they had been, they were way ahead of schedule. Brian Kelly was doing an outstanding job, but it didn't feel like they were quite ready for this. Now, Knight in Baton Rouge – that's one of those kind of environments, maybe one of the top two or three. As you see Bryce Young now, got the camera on him. He looks sad walking off the field because he knows what we all know. Well, that national championship, uh, that's a wrap. Like That's not going to happen. They're not going to get into the top four here. LSU, does this put LSU in the spot they, where they, they would represent the West? I mean, yeah, that, the, right. There's there. It's well, I don't want to say it's really hard, but uh, you know, you, you know who's actually in a good, pretty good spot right now. Ole Miss is sitting at uh, with one loss in the SEC West. Their loss is to LSU. LSU has one loss in the SEC to Tennessee. Um, so right now, LSU controls its own destiny in the SEC West. Jason, yes, they would be seven and one if it hadn't been for what happened against Florida State. In the first week of the season, they got absolutely killed by Tennessee. This is a great night for Tennessee, which sounds weird after losing to Georgia, but it makes the LSU, the LSU win looks even more impressive considering they went to Baton Rouge and did them 40-13. to Bama, who they've already beaten, now Bama is out of the mix, it would appear. So this this it's very interesting. I don't think that LSU is playoff caliber in any way, shape, or form. Just watching them, and I, I don't think they would get that opportunity anyway with the two losses. But this is—it's interesting. Clemson goes down, Bama goes down. It feels like both of those two teams. I don't see a scenario where they end up in the top four. 
You have some other one-loss teams that are kind of hanging around out there, uh, Tennessee being the one that's got the resume that you still would like. But here's the problem. Tennessee's going to have one loss and probably isn't going to the SEC title game because they lost to Georgia and they happen to play on the same side. So that becomes most interesting because you're going to have Georgia LSU, but Tennessee's going to be sitting at home with an incredible resume, likely 11-1, and with outstanding stuff, including beating one of the representatives, whether it's Alabama or LSU coming out of the West. That makes this whole thing really, really fascinating because there's only four spots, and we now know Tennessee's chances of playing in Atlanta are not very good at all. Well, I'll say this. A few thoughts. One, I'll tell you this. You know, you can, can you hear those footsteps, Jason Martin? That is the sound of me taking a victory lap on Brian Kelly, okay? For years, I have said about this. Oh, Notre Dame's overrated. Oh, they're not that good. They're not this. They're not that. Brian Kelly stinks. Well, maybe he was coaching at a great academic school in the middle of nowhere in a Catholic academic school in Indiana. Forgive him for not having a roster that can beat Alabama and LSU. That to me right now, listen, I think Alabama's the story. But let's not sleep on Brian Kelly, okay? I mean, this guy in year one, Jason, you just laid it out. This guy, I, I, I guess they could lose again their remaining SEC games right now. They, I know they play A&M, which I don't think they're exactly shaking in their boots over that one. Um, but they are... Um, their remaining schedule is at Arkansas next week, UAB, and at Texas A&M. That sounds like a team that has a path to the SEC title game uh, in his in Brian Kelly's first year, man. And and I'll just say this, dude. And we talked about this when LSU beat Ole Miss a few weeks ago. There was a lot of talk. I don't know what's true. I don't know what isn't. But that Lincoln Riley was afraid of going to the SEC at Oklahoma. How about Brian Kelly, man, embracing the challenge, wanting the challenge of going to LSU. Um, and man, oh man, 7-2 and two right now, controls his own destiny in the SEC West. Unbelievable stuff, man. Unbelievable stuff. It really is. And the thing that was amazing is before the season, Brian Kelly, who after the, the accent and the hit pieces came out and all that kind of stuff, he quietly had a nice offseason. He had a good SEC media days. He seemed to be in a good frame of mind. Uh, was cracking some good jokes, good self-deprecation and stuff like that. But he did say, I came to the SEC to beat Alabama. He said it out loud. And I said, wow, you are signing a death certificate. Well, it's November the 5th, and I'm looking at 32-31 in Brian Kelly's first shot at LSU against, against Alabama, against Nick Saban. That's impressive. The record is impressive. What they've done in year one, considering that cupboard was not stacked for him coming in there, we know no. kind of the, this, the, the program was not in the best position whatsoever. He has, and his guys have too, he has overperformed what anybody could have expected. There have been a couple of great coaching jobs this year. Hype will be in the top of the list. Sonny Dykes at TCU, certainly. And then Brian Kelly. Because this is you walk into the SEC West, into that job, into that pressure cooker itself, and you end up being where you find yourself right now. You can't really take anything away from Brian Kelly right now. Not not 
at all. Like, this is about as good as it could po- – you could not have expected this if you were an LSU fan entering this season. No one did. No, 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 no. I mean, this There is- were six-and-a-half win over-under going into yes. the year. No, and, you know, and it's just – you know, and, and to go back – Last year, six and six, LSU was, and it's easy to forget because who cares? It's a bowl. They had like thirty nine scholarship players available in their bowl game. By the way, and an and LSU fan let me know about this 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 year. My understanding, they're not even close to like the full eighty five scholarships right now. Like like they lost a ton of players through the portal. They had a bunch of guys graduate. They had a bunch of guys drafted, um, and it, it, it's like you know this is this was supposed to be a seven win season. Well, guess what? They just got to seven wins right now. For people just joining us. Alabama Falls final score 32 to 31. LSU has beaten Alabama. It went to overtime. LSU goes for two and the win. They get it. Man, this is just it, it's a great story. I hope because it's LSU and I know people expect LSU to win at a high level, people aren't underappreciating what this guy's done because as I was saying, 39 40 scholarship players in their bowl game. Um they're at like 75 scholarship players this year, and uh, man, this is a great story. And and you know, I'll tell you what, we got Mark Medina coming up in just a few minutes, but we do have to talk about the ripple effects for Alabama, Jason, because season feels over. Um, I don't, you know, I don't see the scenario. Really quick before we get to break, I mean, this this has to end it for for Alabama, right? I mean, two yes. losses. I, you know, I don't I don't see the the path to an SEC championship game at this point because. I guess if they were to win out, LSU would have to lose to either Arkansas or A&M. So there is a path to the SEC championship game, but two losses, two losses to the two best teams on your schedule, not good, Jason, not good. No, right right now it's LSU, and it doesn't feel like those are losses for them the way that they are playing. Although coming into the year, you could argue if they were a a six-and-a-half over-under team that – you felt like they were relatively mediocre talent-wise. And so they are living the high life. Does it catch up to them in a weird spot against Arkansas or A&M? Or, I wouldn't imagine anybody would think that about UAB. But you know, they're, they're still going to have to play these games, and there are some weird results that happen in college football late. So they're going to have to go ahead and finish the job, but they certainly have put themselves in position to where Alabama becomes the New Year's Six team that you don't want to see if they care to play, but a team that's not going <laughs> to be a factor in a college football You, you know what they race. turn into? The team that if they win, we complain, well, they probably should have been in the playoff the whole time, and if they lose their bowl game, oh, well, God, they didn't want to be there. This is a team on. that <laughs> Central Florida goes and beats, or Utah, or, some, or one of those teams back in the day goes and beats because you have that argument built in. Yes, Alabama is destined to be the team uh, that uh, that that doesn't show up for a bowl game, and they didn't want to be there. An update in baseball: the Astros are down to two. Uh, excuse me, the Astros are two outs away from a World Series. Uh, Bryce Harper coming to the plate. Astros up four to one. Top of the ninth. One runner on Bryce Harper is at the plate. Obviously, Astros are up three to two in this series. Jason, Jason, you talk about a heck of a night in sports. We have an uh, unbelievable upset in Baton Rouge, and it was an upset. Alabama was a 13-and-a-half-point favorite. Don't tell me it's LSU. Don't tell me it's at home. Don't tell me it's at night. That is an upset by every definition. And now we have the Astros two outs away from a World Series. Yeah, and I just flipped over back to baseball to see, you know, you want to see the celebration if that's indeed what's going to happen as Bryce Bryce Harper just uh, popped up 
And now we're one out away from an Astros World Series. We are one out away from the Astros winning a World Series. For people just catching up, it's been a busy night uh, keeping you updated on everything in the college football world. Notre Dame stuns fourth-ranked Clemson 35-14. to Alabama falls 32-31. to Lose in overtime at LSU. LSU, as I just said, a 13.5-point underdog. And in baseball, Jason... One out away for the Houston Astros. Dusty Baker chewing on his toothpick uh, as we uh, as we as we see what happens here. Bryce Harper, as Jason said, just fouled out. Astros are up four to one, two outs, top of the ninth. Astros leading three to two in this World Series. Obviously, took care of business on Thursday night in that weird Philly Houston double dip night, and they are one out away as we have a pop up to right field ball game. And we have a ball game. The Houston Astros, your World Series champion. Thank you for that, Don Brown. I appreciate that. That is right. A breaking update. Houston Astros, your World Series champion. The confetti is falling in Houston. The Houston Astros take down the Philadelphia Phillies four games to two in game six. Jason Martin, we got ourselves a new World Series champion here. Man, lots of stuff is happening. A lot of good things, a lot of celebrations. Unfortunately, what we have to talk about after the break will not be celebratory. Well, I'll tell you what. Um, for, uh, Dusty Baker is, you know, listen, we could argue awesome about... Awesome for uh, him. Yes, I was going to say, we can argue about a lot. But Dusty Baker is a World Series champion. The Phillies are looking on. You know, Jason, uh, we'll, we'll stick here for half a second uh, before we go to break. And what I would say is we'll talk about the Astros' negative perspective uh, in a minute, but two things stand out. One, I'm not going to lie, I am happy for Dusty Baker. I mean, you think about the fact, Jason, how about yeah. this? Uh, you know, th- we, we all remember that iconic moment in the World Series where, who was it, J.T. Snow grabbed his son, J- uh, you mm-hmm. know, Dusty Baker's son, uh, you know, off, of, uh, off the field there. Uh, you know, that was 20 years ago. And if I'm not mistaken, Dusty Baker's son that was about four years old at that point is now a professional baseball player himself. So that's how long Dusty Baker has been surrounding around Major League Baseball, played for years, retired in 1986, was a manager starting in 1993, so about 30-plus years now. Obviously came under the controversy and the, 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 you know, the circumstances around the Astros, and we're going to talk about that in a minute. But one, really happy for Dusty Baker. Two, don't want to lose in this moment the incredible run for the Phillies. Obviously finished third in that NL East. The new playoff format allows them to get in, and they have an incredible win, uh, run two wins away from a World Series. But the Astros have clinched the World Series title. Congrats to them. Look, they got back a lot from last year where my Braves beat them. They faced another NL East team that got hot in the, in the uh, back half of the season and outlasted them. Their bats were there, and their pitching staff just stymied Philadelphia more often than not throughout this series. And, of course, they get to close out. And just seeing a smile on Dusty Baker's face, it is hard not to appreciate that because Dusty's been you know, just one of those elder statesmen that you – He's not my guy, but if it wasn't going to be my guy, I'm glad Dusty got one. This is Fox Sports Radio. Aaron Torres, Jason Martin here. This is what we're going to do. We're going to come back, react to the Astros. The Houston Astros are your World Series champ, taking down the Phillies four games to one in game six in Houston. Plenty more reaction next. Aaron Torres, Jason Martin, Fox Sports Radio.
Welcome back, everybody. Fox Sports Radio, Fox Sports Saturday, Aaron Torres, Jason Martin, broadcasting live from the Tyrac.com studios. Football fans, be sure to tune in to Fox Sports Radio's Countdown to Kickoff, presented by BetMGM on Sunday morning, three hours before kickoff. That's right. Tune in on Sunday morning, 10 a.m. Eastern, as we take you live all the way to kickoff on Fox Sports Radio in the iHeartRadio app, presented by BetMGM. If you're driving around, It has been a heck of a night. Alabama loses in overtime to LSU, but more importantly on the baseball front, Jason Martin, uh, the Houston Astros have beaten the Philadelphia Phillies 4-1 in Game 6. The Houston Astros, for the second time since 2017, are your World Series champions. Was it three of the last four years the baseball season has ended in Houston? Interesting. Um, Yeah, it's kind of crazy. Last year, of course, the Braves winning it, but you look at everything else that has happened, and this is such an intriguing story because of what the recent history of the Astros has been. They've been the butt of jokes. There have definitely been the best of times and the worst of times. Now you got a very rootable manager in there with Dusty Baker. You have some of the problems have been excised from that team. They looked the part all the way through the season, and certainly in the postseason, the pitching staff was dominant. Like, there's a lot to look at here and just say they've built something special in Houston, irrespective of what we can't forget about that happened a few years ago. Uh, tonight, though, you know these these guys, as far as we know, certainly, but these guys don't deserve any of that scorn. Like it's the same thing as a new team comes in college football, but they are placed under sanctions for some reason. It's like no, like this is a new group. They actually, and the other thing, and you don't see this happen in the NFL almost at all, but team that loses the World Series and then gets all the way back and wins it the next year, that's a rarity. That shows longevity. It shows perseverance. It's pretty impressive. Yeah, we. Um, by the way, Mark Medina will join us in a few minutes. But I, I l- let's stay there for a second, Jason, because it was funny. I was filling in on Sunday with with Mark Willard. The Astros, by the way, for people just tuning in, are your World Series champions. They win Game Six, four to one. And we talked about this. Is listen, I, I get. If you're a Dodgers fan and you feel like, you know, whatever happened a few years ago happened, I get it. Uh, Even a Yankees fan to a degree, but even the Yankees, like, who knocked the the Yankees out of the World Series this year? Or out of the playoffs this year? It was the Houston Astros. And and to me, um, you know, George Springer left years ago. Carlos Correa left this offseason. The number of guys that are still on the roster and involved, like, like I'm not a huge baseball guy and I'm not, like, invested in hating the Astros and I get, like you said, if it, 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 I, I get if you're a fan of whoever, but I also think that we have to separate who the Astros were versus who this specific team is. And like, I, I don't really know how you can sit here. Oh, you know, they cheated ten years ago. Yeah, five years ago, whatever. But yeah, it's a completely different group of guys. A new manager, new GM. It's not that I was like rooting for them, but I, I I think the whole they're cheaters, they'll always be cheaters. It, it doesn't hold weight with me, Jason. It really doesn't. No, it doesn't. It doesn't make any sense at all. I was reading a piece of ESPN uh, to that point. Basically, it's like Carlos Correa is gone. Jeremy Pena was twenty at the University of Maine uh, when everything Whoa. happened back in twenty seventeen. Yeah, exactly. Framber Valdez. Uh, he was in double A at that point. I'm looking at it right now. Jordan Alvarez, who hit the big time home run uh, here tonight, didn't debut 
until 2019. Kyle Tucker debuted in 2018. The same kind of stuff. Like, it's ridiculous to – and this happened throughout the postseason. Like, you would still get guys getting booed that weren't anywhere near the majors or certainly not the Houston Astros – back when all of this went went down. Just because it happened one time doesn't mean everybody else that puts on that uniform is a cheater forever. That's just a – honestly, that's just dumb. Like, you, you must be smarter than that. Now, if you get proven out again, maybe you just get rid of the franchise. But most of the problems have been taken off the team, and you have a bunch of young guys that had nothing to do with anything that should be allowed to celebrate their world championship without a fog that they had nothing to do with. Well, I'll tell you what. We want to continue the baseball conversation, but the biggest story in sports over the last couple days has been the situation going on with Kyrie Irving. We promised you we'd get Mark Medina, NBA writer, NBA.com, also our Fox Sports Radio, NBA insider. Mark Medina, first of all, do you have any hot takes on if we should still be mad at the Astros for cheating with the trash cans like six years ago? How you doing, man? Everything good? <laughs> I am doing well. I, I got plenty of hot takes on the NBA. MLB, probably not so much. But yeah, I mean, troll the Astros. Uh, you know, they cheated and got away with it. And uh, let's continue to harp on the drum and spoil their time right now. All right, let's get to uh, let's get to what is obviously the huge story, Kyrie Irving. I was filling in for Doug Gottlieb the other day, uh, and I, I, I really give you credit, man, because you were adamant that you felt like he needed to be suspended for people who did not hear that segment. It was shortly after the press conference where he essentially would not, one, apologize, two, obviously beyond that, would not even acknowledge the question of are you anti-Semitic? He refused to answer the question, said, I know who I am, I know how I was raised. Take us through um, just just the last 48 hours, Kyrie Irving has been suspended. We got in the last two or three hours reports that there is a six-point po- uh, six edict for him to get back onto the floor with the Nets. Uh, is this one of the, this has to be one of the craziest stories you've ever covered in the NBA, right, Mark? Yeah, without a doubt. And, you know, Kyrie Irving has had so many different volatile situations and just seems like he tops it all with the latest incident. And I think, you know, from my personal vantage point, another interesting wrinkle was LeBron James came out uh, last night after the Lakers game and, you know, went public in condemning Kyrie Irving's uh, behavior. And maybe you would think, hey, that's obvious, right? Like, that's what an NBA star player should do. But I think, disappointingly, a lot of NBA players were just really silent about all this. And that is a stark contrast to what we've seen in recent years, where, you know, guys have been very outspoken when it comes to social justice issues and all that. But when it came to Kyrie, uh, nothing but crickets. But at least LeBron James, to his credit, uh, condemned what Kyrie did and acknowledged the obvious that uh, it caused a lot of harm to people. But what this means moving forward, it remains unclear. I mean, he has a five-game suspension, but that's at least five games. I wouldn't be surprised if it's a lot longer because, uh, to what you mentioned, the Nets have a huge laundry list that Kyrie Irving has to fix. And I, myself, am skeptical that he does the following, of apologizing, condemning the documentary publicly, giving a $500,000 donation of different uh, you know, uh, organizations that try to address anti-Semitism, sensitivity training, uh, you know, meeting with different Jewish leaders in the community in Brooklyn, and then meeting with, you know, the Nets owner, Joe Tsai. I mean, those are a lot of things 
within a short period of time. It leaves me skeptical that he's going to do that beyond the five games, but also just knowing how Kyrie is. Um, if he's going to double and triple down this past week, why not do it a fourth time? So I know that there's been some things he's walked back where he's finally apologized on Instagram. Uh, so maybe he does those things. But as far as doing the full fulfillment, uh, the writing seems to be on the wall that um, he's not going to be in a Brooklyn Nets uniform beyond this season. And if he does return this season, it seems like it would be a, in a very limited fashion. Mark, I'm baffled by his reaction, not even understanding the optics of it all. Like, do you think for a second that he didn't realize? And I was trying to give him the benefit of the doubt. Like, maybe he doesn't realize that he is engaging in anti-Semitism here, and that's why he's being kind of so standoffish about this and not taking ownership of it and just kind of saying, no, that's not who I am, not recognizing that what he's endorsing tacitly is indeed anti-Semitism. I'm just, I'm just baffled that he's this. It seems like he's this tone deaf. Like he's walking around. I can understand trying to stand up for yourself and all of this, and he's done that in the past many times to his detriment. But in this case, how can you not recognize the situation you find yourself in and just kind of own this one and say, "Hey, look, I stepped in it. I made a mistake. That's my bad on that. That is not me at all. I want that out there. I apologize." He couldn't even do that. I, I, I'm just blown away. Yeah, and I mean, look, the question that you asked is something that I think the league, the players' union, the Nets—they've been trying to wrestle with all this. Is uh, Hey, did Kyrie Irving, even though he thinks he's the smartest guy in the room at all times, was this just a a window into him being naive and ignorant? Or is this really something that he believes in and hence the doubling down? And so, look, I'm not a mind reader. I'm not a psychology expert. But I can't help but be skeptical and cynical enough that I feel that it is the latter because he's been giving so many opportunities to clarify himself, and he just continues to double down. And it's one thing to, you know, promote something without being fully aware of it, but to then downplay it and blame the messenger and all that, I think it just reeks of irresponsibility, and it leaves me thinking that, you know, these are his true beliefs. I know the incidents mm-hmm. are apples and oranges, but it's almost the same way he handled the vaccine mandate. And look, like, you know, that's a whole other issue in and of itself. But from a pure professional sports angle, you know, the the, the crux of contention here last season was the fact that it, it was affecting his availability for the team. And he never took ownership of that, and he always tried to play the martyr and victim role in that and saying, hey, you know, if only there were things that could have happened that would have allowed me to be on the court. And the simple answer to that is he could have gotten the shot, right? So, you know, consider me skeptical and cynical of what his motives are, but in fairness to all that, you know, really only Kyrie knows. Mark Medina joining us, Fox Sports Radio. Aaron Torres, Jason Martin. For people just joining us, the Astros have clinched the World Series championship. They beat the Philadelphia Phillies 4-1 to in Game 6. We'll have more coverage of that later on. But back to Kyrie, Mark. Let me ask a dumb question. I, I don't claim to be – you know, there's a lot of things I'm not that aren't my areas of strength – NBA contract situations are not one of them. Uh, but I bring it up because, you know, unless I'm wrong, he's basically in the last year of a contract, right? And, and you know, my thought is maybe he finds his way back on the court this year. Maybe he doesn't. 
But am I wrong? He's a free agent after this year, right? And and I can't imagine there's a very hot going to be a very hot market for Kyrie after everything he's put the Nets through over the last three four years. Yeah, you're 100 percent correct. This is the last year of his contract. It was telling that at the beginning of last season he was eligible for an extension, and the Nets never agreed to that. These are all connected as far as how he handled the vaccine mandate, his availability on the court, his leadership or lack thereof, and then that carrying over into this season with everything else uh, leading up to you know him promoting an anti-Semitic documentary. Uh, so that being said, yes, he's not ever going to be on the Brooklyn Nets after this season. The Nets have no interest in fairness, even if this incident didn't happen. I think that would be the same stance, but I think it is a stretch at this point to say that this is the last contract of his career. I think it will be the last contract of him making max money of his career, but I think that there's certainly uh, you know, a window for him to take you know, a relative discount uh, because he still is a very talented basketball player. So I could see the Lakers, for example, taking a flyer on that because, you know, look, they've had a flawed roster and they're trying to find creative ways to maximize LeBron James's championship window. Uh, but I think that, you know, you are seeing the tail end of his career not end gracefully. And the bottom line is Kyrie, Irving is very much on thin ice, and you would think that he would use this opportunity to really rehabilitate himself and get back in the good graces of the organization, and while I certainly wouldn't rule that out, that goes against how Kyrie has behaved for his entire career. When you think that he's going to finally fall in line, that's when he continues to double down. So, yeah, there's a full season for this to play out, but again... Uh, it's one of those old sayings of, you know, the fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me. And Kyrie Irving has fooled us multiple times again for me to become more and more skeptical of what he's going to do. we got just about a minute left, Mark. Uh, when you look at the Nets and this week, Steve Nash out, Kevin Durant acts like he's never heard that this was going to happen in advance. Then you have the Kyrie situation doubling, tripling down, seemingly not being able to read the room. Then Kevin Durant stepping in it with his first comments about this was like, can we just play basketball? Then he realized and he had to step back and say something. First off, what do you think about the Nets situation? I don't know. I've ever seen a week worse for a franchise than this one. And then past it, what does all this mean for KD? Yeah, it's just lack of leadership, terrible culture within the Nets organization, which is disappointing because before the Kevin Durant-Kyrie Irving partnership, that was one of the things that made the Nets such an attractive franchise, that they were building a very positive culture built around good coaching, good player development. But all that went out the window with deciding to go the superstar route. And look, like talent trumps everything in the NBA, so that philosophically isn't a bad idea. But because of Kyrie's terrible leadership and because Kevin Durant was basically a package deal with Kyrie, uh, the Nets sold their soul to the devil, so to speak, right? And uh, it doesn't seem like they're finding ways to really rectify that. I mean, firing Steve Nash, he wasn't a great head coach, even though he had a very distinguished Hall of Fame playing career. But to then uh, go on this path where it appears that he, they're going to hire Ime Adoka, like he has his own set of baggage where, you know, the Celtics suspended him for a season, uh, at least a season, because of, you know, allegations of all female employees. So the Nets are talking out of both sides of their mouth of, hey, we want to improve the culture, and then just doubling down on misinformed decisions. So. 
Um, you know, where things go from here, look, in fairness, they won two consecutive games without Kyrie Irving. Kevin Durant's still a superior talent, but I think clearly the writing on the wall is this, this is just going to continue to crumble, and I think at this point, the Nets really are better off on just tearing it all down. Try to get some sort of package deal for Kevin Durant, which I think he would be fine with. He obviously demanded a trade last summer for a reason. See what they can get for Ben Simmons, and then just go into rebuild mode because this is just a volatile mix, and I don't think things are going to get better. He's Mark Medina, our NBA insider here on Fox Sports Radio, also covers the NBA for NBA.com. Mark, uh, busy night. We appreciate you joining us, and uh, we're going to have you on again soon. Hopefully for some like actual basketball stuff, <laughs> yeah, you know, great. like on the court stuff. You know, I, I guess the Nets have won two in a row, but hopefully we talk some on the court stuff more next time. Thank you, Mark. We appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. What a concept. Up. I'll be looking forward to it. Unbelievable. He is Mark Medina. We always appreciate Mark's time. Make sure to follow him on Twitter at Mark G underscore Medina. Uh, we got a lot to get to. It is a busy, not just day in sports, but it's like a busy hour in sports. Let's throw it over the news desk. Steve DeSager, tell us what's trending, my friend. You're not kidding. A ton happening. First off, the Houston Astros are the first team to clinch the World Series title in its home ballpark in almost a decade since the Red Sox of 2013. And just for clarity, as you were talking about Houston's roster early, it's not a completely different roster. Three of the four infielders are the same from 2017. Who's the one guy that's replaced? You mentioned Carlos Correa not there. They have the rookie shortstop, Jeremy Pena, and he's been named World Series MVP. Houston beat Philadelphia 4-1 tonight in Game 6 of the series, taking the title. Jordan Alvarez had the big swing of the bat, three-run homer, bottom of the sixth, right after they had fallen behind, one nothing, top of the sixth, on a home run from Kyle Schwarber. But the long ball from Alvarez went 450 feet to center field off a 99-mile-an-hour pitch right after the starter had been taken out. Zach Wheeler, the losing pitcher for Philly, went five and a third innings, two runs allowed. The winning pitcher, Framber Valdez, he did nothing but dominate Philadelphia this month. Six innings, nine strikeouts tonight. Houston, a team that won 106 games in the regular season. They started 7-0 and this postseason, the first couple of rounds, even though Jose Altuve had started the playoffs 0-25 for 25 at the plate. Houston made the ALCS for a sixth straight year, and they win the title at home in Game 6 tonight. The Falcons activated running back Cordero Patterson. He missed the last month with a knee injury. In college football, Georgia beat up Tennessee 27-13. Number 2 Ohio State survived in the bad weather at Northwestern. 21-7 Buckeyes. Notre Dame all over. Number four Clemson 35-14. It was 28-0 early fourth quarter. Number five Michigan had to come from behind for a 52-17 win at Rutgers. Wolverines 9-0. At LSU in overtime, the Tigers defeated Alabama 32-31 on a two-point pass after their TD. Number seven TCU still undefeated after coming back to beat Texas Tech today 34-24. Number eight, Oregon continues to win. This was a W at Colorado, 49-10. And then we get to the two late games of note, which are in the Pac-12 conference, USC and UCLA each playing. The USC Trojans are at home, ninth ranked, and leading late first half against Cal, 13-7. Early second quarter, number 12, UCLA is up 14-10 at Arizona State. And then there's the game at SMU tonight. The final score... 
SMU 77-63 over the Houston Cougars. The losing quarterback, Clayton Toon, had seven touchdown passes and three interceptions. He threw for over 500 yards. He had three different 100-yard receivers, and they lost the game. This was the highest-scoring game in regulation in the history of FBS college football. The previous record was 137 points combined. This 140 points combined. Wow. As for other games today, Arkansas lost at home to Liberty. Arkansas was down 21 to 5 in the fourth quarter, fought back with a couple of TDs. They got within 21-19 when they scored with just over a minute to go. They went for two and were stopped just short on the two-point play. Liberty wins on the road. You were talking NBA. There was an incredible finish to an overtime game, the first of tonight's games. Sacramento wins at Orlando, 126-123 in OT because De'Aaron Fox, who had 37 points, hit the long game winner at the buzzer. He was standing on part of the center court logo and drained it for the Sacramento win. Orlando now 2-8. Atlanta in overtime beat New Orleans, and Milwaukee now 9-0 after a win against Oklahoma City. In the NHL, Vegas has won seven in a row. Vegas Golden Knights 11-2 after a 6-4 victory at Montreal. Back to you. Thanks, Steve Sager, Fox Sports Radio, Fox Sports Saturday, Aaron Torres, Jason Martin coming to you live from the Tyrac.com studios. When we come back, more reaction to the Astros clinching the World Series title and, of course, a wild day in college football. Plenty more to come. We are on until 2 a.m. Eastern. Aaron Torres, Jason Martin, Fox Sports Radio. Do you love Selena? Like, really love Whether you saw her live, saw the movie as a kid, or saw her looks all over TikTok, there's no shortage of reasons to Stan, the Queen of Tejano. And Stan, we do over three whole episodes of our podcast, Becoming an Icon. We're reminiscing as lifelong Selena fans, sharing hot takes and telling her story. Listen to Becoming an Icon on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search Becoming an Icon. Welcome in, everybody. Hour three, Fox Sports Radio, Aaron Torres, Jason Martin. We are taking you till 2 a.m. Eastern time. About an hour from now, Bernie Fratto will join us to recap a busy day in college football. Look ahead to week nine of the NFL season. We also may be hearing from somebody live in Baton Rouge after Alabama stunned by the Tigers. LSU wins that one 32-31 in overtime. Like I said, broadcasting live from the Tyrac.com studios. Tyrac.com will help you get there. An unmatched selection, fast free shipping, free road hazard protection, and over 10,000 recommended installers. TireRack.com the way tire buying should be. Jason, the Alabama game was incredible, but for the time being, let's talk a little baseball here. We have ourselves a new World Series champion. The Houston Astros take care of the Philadelphia Phillies 4-1 to in Game 6. They win the Series 4-2, to obviously. Um, we talked a little bit about it, but let's revisit it here, and we'll get back to football here in a minute. Um, I have a lot of thoughts. Let, let you know. Let, let's start with. I, I do think it is the biggest conversation. Look, the Dusty Baker stuff's great and all that, but the Astros. I mean, this is a team that obviously was you know kind of uh, you know scorned. Uh, Twenty nine franchises couldn't stand this team, and I'll just say this. You know, my, my personal opinion. I get why if you're a Dodgers fan, you feel like they took a World Series from you. I get even sort of if you're a Yankees fan, why you don't like the Astros, but. 
a lot of new players, two stars on that 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 World Series team in 2017. Carlos Correa is now obviously with Minnesota. Uh, George Springer left years ago. This is a different team, new manager, new front office. I'm having a hard time mustering up the hate for the Houston Astros, who are your World Series champion. Yeah, me too. Look, you had three guys. You had Alex Bregman, who's been great in the community ever since. You've got Gurriel, who didn't play tonight. He was banged up. And you have Altuve that are still there. Uh, and you have some of the pitching staff that's there as well. But we're half a decade past this. Like, eventually, and, and this is kind of what I think a few of the Astros players said about it after the fact is, we don't care anymore we're going to get booed we understand that but we're just going to go ahead and keep on doing we had nothing to do with that and that's the right response because what can they do they can't do anything either they stop playing baseball or they just continue to shrug their shoulders and those that want to try and create something out of this or not let it go i guess they can go ahead and do that but the rest of us have pretty much moved on from it like when i see the astros uniform do do i remember the trash cans of course i do but you can't apply that to 20-year-old Jeremy Pena at the time in 2017. It was named World Series MVP tonight. You can't apply that to everything that happens from that point forward. Some people will, and you have to endure that as a franchise, as an organization, if indeed you get caught doing that. But look, UNLV, there's a lot of stuff going on during that Jerry Tarkanian era that's not dogging out people now. Like, What is the statute of limitations for an organization that has, for the most part, been turned over like the Houston Astros have and continue to find their way to the World Series, continue to find their way into the postseason, and then get the big one here tonight against Philadelphia in Game 6. I will tell you, I feel much the same way you do, but there are others that feel the opposite way. I want to bring in producer Bo, host of the Swing Shift podcast, which focuses on the Dodgers. You know, Bo, I... Jason and I aren't that fired up, so maybe you have to bring the heat to this segment because the Astros are your World Series champs, obviously won it in 2017, beat the Dodgers in seven games, um, and you're not over it, apparently. You don't appear to be over it. I, it's not that I'm not over it. It's more that the Astros weren't punished in any way, shape, or form for what they did, and everybody knows they cheated. Like, they cheated. We all know they cheated, and Major League Baseball did their best to sweep it under the rug. I'm happy for Dusty Baker, but also, like... I don't think it's insane to think that Major League Baseball kind of put Dusty well, there to kind of like soften the blow, soften the blow of what the Astros had done. Um, and yeah, Correa is gone and Springer's gone and all that stuff is there. But Altuve is still there. Altuve is the guy that really sparked all the controversy with the whole buzzer thing. Like it's true. There, it, it's if you if your team didn't lose to them, like you know, for Jason, the Braves beat the Astros, so it's not a big deal. Like, you know, the 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 Astros legitimately stole a lot of joy from people in Los Angeles, and they're really never going to get over it out here. Um, well, this team, you know, whatever, like, I, you can't, there's no, you can't say this team cheated yet, but to, to a lot of people, I think once a cheater, always a cheater, at least in Los Angeles. I do think you bring up a good point from this perspective, Bo, is I remember the year after they got caught, how big of a thing it was going to be. And if you remember, they were set to open the 2020 season against the Angels. And if you remember, and I know you remember, Bo, there was Dodgers fans that were buying up all the tickets going, they were going to drive the three hours down, or not three hours, about an hour and a half down to Orange County to go boo the crap out of them. And so that is one thing that I do think is fair about it is because that 2020 season was first not played and then played with essentially no fans in the stands, they did kind of get 
get away with not really having to deal with what they would have had to deal with had they had a regular season. So I guess that would be my only real thought, Jason. I'll toss it back to you, is they they did get a little bit of a pass because that one season where they were going to be the biggest story in baseball, they were going to be clear villains, everyone was going to hate them. I remember talking to Arnie about this at the time. They did largely avoid that uh, because of, uh, you know, because of obviously, you know, a little pandemic that, that, that changed the world in that moment. But I think that is a fair argument. Yeah, no, it is for sure. What they were going to experience in every ballpark, they didn't end up having to experience because those ballparks were empty. And that's a, that is a substantial thing that they were able to dodge because of the state of the world that kind of trumped what had happened with a baseball team in that moment. And just the fact that you had an empty stadium kind of helped you skate through it. And then by the time you got another year past – a lot of us have short-term memories when it comes to sports. There's always another scandal. There's always something else going on. There's always bigger fish to fry, and maybe they did skate there. And I do think there is something to be said for it. They weren't punished. I don't know, Bo, if you're still there. What, what should the punishment have been? Like, What could they have done that would have made you feel better about this at this point? I just don't think there should be a World Series winner in 2017. Okay. I, I I don't think there should have been vacated. Take down yeah, the banner. They, there's, you just can't tell me that this team that cheated the entire year just suddenly stopped doing it in the World Series. When I think I, I I'm sure DeSager knows the exact number because I've heard him say it before. But like Kershaw never got a single like swing and miss on any of his off speed pitches when he pitched in Houston. Like there's a whole bunch of. Yeah, I think it was like fifty. Yeah, like it, it's that was the that was the most obvious to me cheating in twenty seventeen is yeah. when they stole game five, which I think the Dodgers scored like twelve runs yeah. that night and still <laughs> yeah. didn't win. They they both I actually were didn't realize it hadn't been vacated. Over the place. I didn't realize it hadn't been vacated. No, they got Quite to keep frankly. the trophy and then the commissioner said it's a bunch of it's a hunk of metal. What are you guys stewing over this for? I mean that's, a that's, lot of people would like that guy to run the NCAA, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that's I think that's the one thing. And as soon as we were talking about the the makeup has largely changed, but certainly not entirely of Houston. I think Altuve and Correa were kind of the linchpin of of emotions for other teams looking who hated Houston. Like those were the targets. And once those two guys both are off the roster, then I think this will really calm down. Yeah, it it is an interesting conversation, and you know me not being a, a Dodgers, Yankees, whatever fan, you know I have no real skin in the game, but you know I I do get it. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I just I, I I can't get fired up, and it's kind of like what Jason said is, you know, if. Uh, I don't know, like let's use college sports as an example, right? There was a bunch of stuff that came out in college basketball this year, like Rick Pitino, uh, you know, Louisville got punished again for sanctions under Rick Pitino. But it was five years ago, he got fired. Like at a certain point, it's like, I don't know, like I'm not triggered. Yeah, but that- things get vacated in college yeah, sports. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Um yeah, so I, I don't know. Like, uh, I'm not triggered that you know, like Rick Pitino got a job again. But to your point, DeSager uh, stuff got vacated really quick. Jason, um, you know, the Dusty Baker. I, I will say this, guys. I, I think the Dusty Baker angle is cool. You know, retired in 1986. He's basically essentially been a manager since 1993. He's had a uh, you know an off year here or there, but 73 years old. Um, you know, a guy that I, I mentioned it earlier, but you know, we remember that iconic moment in the 2002 World Series 
series where his son is at home plate as the bat boy is about four years old. Uh, JT Snow scoops him up. That son's now obviously in his mid-20s playing minor league baseball. Was there tonight? Was he there tonight? Well, yeah. it, it just shows you how long this guy has been around. And so for a lifer like that, you know, the one thing that was missing from his resume, I, I'll say this, I don't know if it makes me cool or uncool to, to be happy for the 73-year-old guy, but I thought it's pretty cool that he's going to get a World Series ring. Yeah, it is. I, I, I think that's an objective truth. Like, really, I know there are some people that might not like Dusty Baker. I just don't know any. How could, like, what what could Dusty, I guess if you're like a, a Cubs fan and he ruined Mark Pryor's career by throwing him, you know, uh, Right, he needs to be the Giants manager if you hold yeah, that. Right. But him personally, no. Yeah, he just a, seems like a sweet old man that chews on toothpicks. I don't know. I, can't. <laughs> I, I just, I, I don't know who's who's sitting at home right now. Like, is that, uh, going, is that going on his tombstone? Or maybe. Is that going to be, be the first I, line the photo, of his obituary? Yeah. He's a sweet old man <laughs> who chews on toothpicks. The only point I'm trying to make, I can't see too many people like like pacing in their, uh, you know, pacing in their uh, in their living rooms right now because Dusty Baker has a World Series title now again plenty of Dodgers fans in LA that may feel that way about the Astros but the only point I was trying to make was about Dusty Baker yeah no that's fair I I don't think there's I don't think there's there are many people that are saddened by the fact that Dusty Baker got a World Series tonight that that even if you don't like the Astros and you know you you may have reason to and certainly Bo sort of exhibited why you might still feel the way feel a certain type of way about them I just don't think you can include Dusty Baker in that at all I I almost said I would rather he have got one with the Giants and then I had to stop myself so that's no, tough that's, <laughs> that would be tough yeah. as a Dodger fan no that's fine he, yeah whatever. that's telling though isn't it yeah. yeah but two items from Stats Inc that Dusty Baker is now the oldest manager or head coach to win a championship in any of the four major sports at wow. age 73 wow. and also the fact that Jeremy Pena was not only World Series MVP but LCS MVP and won a gold glove this year at shortstop. Forget that he's rookie. No other position player ever has won those three in their entire careers, much less the same season and their first season in the majors. Say that again. What was that cigarette? He had won in a row, gold glove for the regular season, ALCS MVP, tonight World Series MVP. Wow. The only, I mean, like Oral Hershiser won those three in the same season, pitcher, no position player has done what he just did in their careers, much less in one year. All right. Well, thank you to Sager. Sager will have more on the World Series uh, going final coming up later in his segment and certainly in the extended update later in the hour. But coming up, we will go back and put a bow on a busy day in college football for those just joining us. Alabama Falls, Clemson Falls, what does it all mean for the playoff picture? Oh, by the way. Georgia does not miss a beat. That's all next. Fox Sports Radio. Welcome back, everybody. Fox Sports Radio. Fox Sports Saturday. Aaron Torres, Jason Mark, coming to you live from the Tyrac.com studios. And this is the Fox Sports Radio tailgate presented by the Big Green Egg. Nothing beats the flavor of live fire cooking on a Big Green Egg. It's the most versatile grill you'll ever own. Backed by a lifetime warranty. Roll with the best. Shop online for free delivery at BigGreenEgg.com. Lifetime warranty. Free home delivery. BigGreenEgg.com. The Astros are your World Series champions. They take care of the Philadelphia Phillies in Game 6. Final score 4-1. to one. DeSager will have more for you in his extended update here in about 20 minutes from now. But Jason, I want to put a bow on college football because you know the last hour or so we've talked a lot of Astros. It was a wild day in college football. Alabama. Also college basketball. Also college basketball. What do you mean? 
I mean, Houston, uh, Kelvin Sampson losing to SMU 77-63. Oh, I get it. Ha, 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 ha. No, that was a football game, buddy. Crazy, huh? Oh. Yeah, 140 combined points in that game. I just thought I'd go full yep. dad joke. No, that's on okay. That one pretty much. Well, I'll tell you, I'll take I'll take it a step further. 77-63 was the final score. So a lot of uh, you know a lot of points in Houston, but it was a crazy day in Houston. Jason, I, I know you're not a huge gambling guy. Have you followed the journeys of Mattress Mac over the last couple of years? Yeah, I mean, I know a little bit about it. It's not like I followed it too closely. Actually, a lot of times. I've talked to Bernie, and Bernie has kind of kept us up to date on Mattress Mac over the last couple of years. But I mean, when you're out there with antics like that, going full-on shock jock, it's hard not to notice if you're in the sports media landscape at all what's going on there. Well, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Mattress Mac, and Bernie will probably have some better insight than I do. Um, but bottom line is, essentially, for people who don't know, this is a furniture store owner in the Houston area. And what he's done over the last couple of years is he's kind of he's made these these big wagers on the Houston Astros to win the World Series, and he kind of that we call it hedging in the business. Essentially, what he does is um, he he what what he does is basically he offers his customers some sort of rebate or refund. Uh, if the Astros win the World Series. And so essentially what he'll say is, hey, if you spend $500, and and I'm paraphrasing, I don't know exactly what the deal is, but hey, spend this much money, and if the Astros win the World Series, you get your deposit back, or $100 off if you get your deposit back. But he also then bets on the Astros to win the World Series. And so essentially what he does is, basically, if the Astros win the World Series, and he wins a bunch of money, if the Astros lose the World Series, then he keeps all the deposit money and he made it all back anyway. And so I bring it up, Jason, because unless I'm mistaken, he just took home, at least in the U.S., the single biggest dollar amount in the history of sports betting in the U.S. Um, I don't know how much he wagered, but I know that through multiple sports books, I saw this on social media, he won $75 million. Yeah, that's a lot of money. I don't really know what Mattress Mac does for a post-game victory, but but parties in Mattress Mac's room because uh, seventy-five million dollars, Jason. You talk about a lot. You talk about a lot of points in the Houston SMU game. A lot of dollar bills for Mattress Mac after that World Series championship. Buys a whole lot of trash can lids. Whoa! Shots fired. That, that was the second one. Second dad joke there. So. Yeah, I'm just kidding. I'm, this is going to be that segment. I've decided. Um, no, look, good for him. I'm. I don't have any of that $75 million, but good for him. Eventually, maybe it's going to pay off, and now it has for him. Does that mean he keeps betting, or do you let it ride? At this point, you get $75 mil, Do you finally just take it to the house and not worry about being seen anymore? Well, you know, I, I don't think he's doing too badly if he has no, the I money to win $75 million, so I'm going to guess he's going to keep selling uh, – Keep selling some couches and some some love seats and some mattresses, maybe. Uh, but yeah, mattress Mac, um, what a guy! But no, I, I don't think this is the end of Mattress Mac. I don't think he goes and buys an island and retires. But I'd be remiss if I did not mention the biggest score ever in the history, at least of U.S. sports gambling. So, Jace, let's do some college football really quick. You mentioned Houston SMU, unbelievable final score there, seventy-seven to sixty-three. That just doesn't even sound real. SMU gets the win, um, but. In the games that had playoff implications, there were really three that really uh, shook things up. We'll go through them quickly. Let's start with the one. I I think the result is probably 
the least impactful. It felt impactful at the time. But Georgia at home, number three in the country with the new poll out, they beat number one Tennessee. And I'll say this, one, Georgia was awesome. But two, at the time, it felt like, oh man, Tennessee is in a really tough spot now. If they want to get one of those playoff spots, they have no road to the SEC championship game. How are they ever going to get in the playoff? But then Alabama loses later tonight for their second loss of the season. Clemson takes a loss. I'll say this, we haven't talked about it from this perspective. Tonight worked out about as well as it could have for Tennessee. I guess maybe Michigan could have lost and it would have been helpful. But Clemson loses, Alabama loses. That's actually very good news for Tennessee. So this is this is just it's real time. So I'm kind of looking because you're now starting to see some of the pieces being put up by some of our colleagues um, about what they thought about the day and where it leaves the college football playoff and things of that nature. So I'm looking at ESPN. They've got, you know, their 15 college football folks putting their four college football the way that they see the playoff picture at this point. Only one of them still has Tennessee in the top four of those 15 anywhere. All of them, every single one has TCU now. Interesting. Every last one of them has them at least four. One guy, no two, have have them number three. Oregon sneaks in in a couple of these polls, which I find kind of amazing. Uh, and those are also ones that don't that exclude Tennessee, who also has the same loss Oregon does, except they took that loss in Athens, and it was much closer than what happened on a neutral site field for Oregon in Week One. And of course, Michigan finds their way in. Clemson and Alabama nowhere near it. But I, I just found that pretty interesting. Georgia separated themselves. There's no question about that. And then it's I think you could argue Michigan could be number two right now. Mm-hmm. because they've looked more impressive recently. But Ohio State was already there, and they didn't do anything wrong. They still won, and they're still undefeated. And there's going to be a de facto knockout game between those two, so it almost doesn't matter because they're both going to they're going to have the opportunity to prove their case against one another here in a couple of weeks. But I do think that it's interesting that TCU is now getting – they're getting the respect out. I didn't. I didn't necessarily expect to see their name on that three or four line among so many of the college football media, but that appears to be what we're seeing. Yeah, I mean they're undefeated, and I think it's easy right now to slot them in and basically, you know, pick and choose. Do you think Michigan's going to lose? Do you think Ohio State's going to lose? And then the other ones on the outside looking in. I'll tell you this, you know, that Michigan-Ohio State game is getting increasingly interesting because I really like Michigan. Uh, they took care of business. They were actually trailing at halftime 17-14. They end up winning 52-17. to But, you know, and this was something we talked about in, in September. Uh, the out-of-conference schedule is non-existent. Uh, Colorado State, Hawaii, and you know who the third game was, was the UConn Huskies. We will, we'll, we'll save them for another time. Five and five, baby. One win away from bowl eligibility. But... Um, they don't have much. I mean, they, they. That's why Clemson was in the top four last week, and Michigan wasn't. Like the biggest argument was their out of conference schedule. Exactly, and that and that's what I was going to say was where you look at Tennessee, and I know, and everyone gets mad when you try to do the hypotheticals four or five weeks out. But whether it is Georgia or whether it is Oregon, excuse me, going to Georgia to challenge themselves against Georgia in the opening part of the season. And by the way, if, if Oregon finishes with one loss, it means they won the Pac-12. But then I think it would get really interesting with a Tennessee versus Michigan debate. And I'll tell you, I, I don't know that Michigan really has much of a resume if they don't beat Ohio State. And so, again, I, I know it's all hypothetical right now, but you start to look at, as you said, the one thing that we do know in this playoff picture, 
Uh, Ohio State and Michigan are going to play, and one of them is going to lose. Now, for Ohio State, the Notre Dame game looks a little bit more, you know, maybe better than it did a few weeks ago, and at least they tried to challenge themselves. And so, again, I I know it's semantics and doesn't really matter, but I do think that 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 you know, I I just think Tennessee's in good shape, not only because of the Clemson loss and the Bama loss, but again, when you start comparing their resume who they will have beaten by the end of the year with potentially what a one-loss Ohio State or a one-loss Michigan that does not win the Big Ten, there's not going to be a lot there for either of those teams, Jason. No, I agree. I, like I said, and I, I said this earlier in the program, even though this isn't how this would go down if you're actually voting, if you're just looking at it from who the best teams are, I've got George 1 and Tennessee 2 right now. Ohio State has some serious flaws and have not looked impressive in the last couple of weeks. And Michigan is a team that, I still don't trust their passing offense at this stage. They can run the ball and they can play defense, but I also saw what Georgia did to them last year in the college football playoff with better defensive personnel, or at least some better top-end personnel that now isn't a part of that roster, and certainly you, you aren't really blown away by the quarterback play. So I continue to say that, and your point about Notre Dame, I, I we ended up not getting to this. I do want to give Marcus Freeman and that Good team call. some credit. They were 0-2. The OSU loss in week one, 21 to 10, but then you lose to Marshall. And then you escape against Cal 24 17, and people are, oh, what's going on here? Well, then they beat North Carolina. They're not terrible. Then they beat BYU, who at the time was 16th. They beat Syracuse, who at the time was 16th, and then beat Clemson tonight. Uh, a number four team that was in the college football playoff inaugural rankings. They've won now six out of their last seven games, three of those being top 20 opponents, one being a top five opponent. And this is a team that objectively we know is not very good, not very talented, not very deep. I, that's, I think it deserves to be mentioned that Notre Dame didn't just go away and hide. They're going to end up having a respectable year. And that should, you know, that that's good for Marcus Freeman because that thing did not trend well for him in the first month. No, by the way, ironically, the guy who, of course, he replaced yeah, did not yeah. look good in the first month or so either, maybe first five weeks. And obviously LSU picks up the big win against Bama. I have one more college football thought, Jason. I want to get to that next. Before we do, though, let's get back to Steve DeSager. Let's find out what's trending on a busy night. What's up, DeSager? You mentioned uh, different media members saying what today means in college football the athletic editor said good day to be oregon because mm-hmm. clemson could be falling behind them in the top 10 also georgia did to the tennessee offense what it had done to the oregon offense and for the heisman hopes not especially a good day for the tennessee quarterback or ohio state quarterback but bo nix of mm. oregon is still there imagine if he won the heisman he had that would five be touchdowns that he caught one too i think and uh, yeah, yeah, a couple short touchdown runs included, and that's eight and one for Oregon and uh, eight straight wins. As for the day in college football, the athletic points out that here Alabama lost, and Clemson lost, and Kansas beat a ranked team all on the same day for the first time in over 20 years. 1998, the last time those three things happened on the same day. But Alabama's now lost two games before Thanksgiving. For the first time since 2010, that's how ridiculously good that program has been. And the details for those who didn't hear about the SMU home game today, SMU beat Houston 77 to 63. AP points out that this past February in college basketball, SMU played Houston 
and the final score was 75-61. It was actually lower than the football <laughs> final score tonight. My joke works, I'm telling you. SMU's Tanner Mordecai with a school record, nine touchdown passes, seven in the first half, and yes, it's the NCAA single-game scoring record for two teams combined in regulation. 140 points in this game. The old record was 137 total in a pit win over Syracuse in 2016. It just... It was astounding. SMU, their first nine drives of the game. They didn't just score points. They scored touchdowns on their first nine drives of the game. And there are a couple of games of notes still going. It's early third quarter at ninth-ranked USC. Trojans lead 20-7 over Cal. And number 12, UCLA, is a halftime lead at Arizona State, 28-10. The other two late games in the Mountain West, Fresno State leading Hawaii 34-0 in Fresno early third quarter. And early third, San Jose State has taken the lead. 13-10 over Colorado State. Tonight at Louisville, the Cardinals were tied at home against James Madison, 10-10 at the half. Louisville won 34-10. Florida State was leading at halftime at Miami, 31-3. Seminoles won that game 45-3. Also in the ACC, Virginia Tech blew a lead in the fourth quarter, lost at home 28-27 to Georgia Tech. Vatek 2-7 now on the season. Georgia beat up Tennessee 27-13. Ohio State survived at Northwestern with a 21-7 win. That Notre Dame victory was 35-14 over Clemson. TCU and Michigan with wins. Oregon and Texas as well. And LSU beat Alabama in overtime 32-31 on a two-point pass. Game six of the World Series went to the Houston Astros. 4-1 over Philadelphia. Jordan Alvarez with a key three-run homer. A long bomb to center in the bottom of the sixth. Series MVP rookie shortstop Jeremy Pena. And the Houston Astros bullpen set a postseason record. Their bullpen ERA was under one. The previous record set by the 1973 Oakland A's had an ERA in the single postseason over one. In fact, they had the lowest ERA. The opponent's batting average was 126 against the bullpen. I mean, they're a series of records. They were dominant. And the save to Ryan Presley tonight. Houston wins the series four games to two. And in the NBA, overtime wins for Atlanta and for Sacramento. Back to you. Thanks, Steve Sager, Fox Sports Radio, Fox Sports Saturday, Aaron Torres, Jason Mark, coming to you live from the Tyrac.com studios. As DeSager just told you, a, just a wild day in college football. Georgia takes care of Tennessee, but because of what happened with Tennessee, uh, with everybody else in college football later in the day, Tennessee all of a sudden is probably in a little bit better shape than we thought uh, with Alabama losing. DeSager said first time since 2010 they have multiple losses pre-Thanksgiving uh, and Clemson losing as well. Jason, really quickly with Alabama, um, you and I, maybe more so than anybody that I know of, we've been on the something's not right with Bama stuff dating back to last year. And I know they played for a championship and all that, but it, it was clear they weren't the same team last year. Most people thought, okay, they were young, whatever, they bounced back this year. It hasn't happened. Obviously, two losses easily could have lost to not only Texas, but don't forget Texas A&M too. Texas A&M was on the goal line while we were on air with the chance to win that game. I guess my question for you, Jason, is real quick. I mean, is this this group? Is it college football catching up? Like, like what is it with this Bama group? Because whatever it is, it's a two-year sample size now. This isn't a week. It's not two weeks. It's not about this one loss. It is about Alabama has had a certain standard, essentially like DeSager just said, since basically 2011. 
They have not lived up to that standard over the last two years. I'm kind of left trying to figure out what it is. If you could put a finger on one thing, maybe you can't. But what are your thoughts on on just what is up with Bama uh, as they lose again tonight for the second time this season? Well, I guess one thing you could look at is that when they evolved offensively and went from the game manager, Greg McElroy, A.J. McCarron, those kind of quarterbacks to these more dynamic guys that were able to get a lot more done on the offensive side, we have seen, at least at times, the defense not be quite what it used to be. I think that's one of them. I think the other one is, and and look, last year's Bama team dealt with injuries to Jamison Williams and John Mechie in two games, in back-to-back games against Georgia, one of which they overcame, the other one they did not. But they had a lot of talent on that side that then got drafted. The one thing that the NIL situation will do is eliminate your depth to some degree because guys are not going to sit on a bench when they can go earn money at another Power 5 school the way they used to. The days of Brian Robinson waiting for his time, Mac Jones waiting for his time, I feel like those are going to change. And so we've had this analogy on this program that that you stated so well um, in the past where you said that Georgia is the new Alabama. I said you can go further and say Tennessee might be the new Georgia. Now, we've seen other people be the potential new Georgia in the past. Like, we're going to have to look a couple of years down the road and see. Maybe it was going to be A&M with Manziel. It didn't end up sticking out. We've seen that happen. Flashes in the pan for for Auburn, even winning a championship with Chiswick and then doing what they were able to do with Gus Malzahn and things like that. So there's always been the one stalwart. And right now, Georgia is the top of that heap. Let me ask a a a third part of that same analogy. If we were to go along the lines that Georgia has become the new Alabama and that maybe Tennessee is becoming the new Georgia or whatever team you want to insert there is becoming the new Georgia, is it possible we are starting to see the beginning of Alabama becoming the new Florida? Well, what what is the... What the is new it? Florida meaning... Urban Meyer ends up leaving yeah. the university. Uh, they've won championships. They've been dominant. But they're about to go to a spot where they're going to struggle and maybe they're going to have to find the right successor. And maybe they're going to do that. But if they don't, they could find themselves you know, dropping down a peg or two. Remember, especially in the Alabama-Tennessee rivalry, but you've seen this with Alabama for a long, long, long time. This is not a team that always wins. This is not a a school that has no lulls. This thing goes in terms of eras, and for a long time between their championship and Nick Saban getting there, it took a long, long, long time to go from Stallings to Saban, and that might be the drought that you're trying to dodge right now. Florida, it just seemed like they were always going to be in the mix. Yeah. But they kind of haven't been, right? Like, eventually, a lot of this stuff comes to an end. Well, no, a thousand percent. And it's funny because, you know, the analogy that I would use is, um, you know, there's so many programs that you look at the opposite perspective of, oh, that pro, they'll never get back to who they were. And it just takes the right guy. You look at Notre Dame. I was told for 20 years that Notre Dame would never compete at the highest levels and maybe they haven't won a championship. Okay. Brian Kelly got them pretty darn close, though, and maybe Marcus Freeman eventually gets them over the hump. Um, But it can work the opposite way, too. Just because Alabama's been awesome 
if they don't get the right guy to replace Nick Saban, one, I think it's impossible to expect them to compete at this level for for you know the, the not only for the rest of the Saban era but beyond. Um, but if they don't get the the right guy, it could fall you know not fall apart, but it it could fall pretty quickly. And that was actually what I was going to ask you, Jason. I was going to say after we got back from DeSager, and, and and I'm glad you brought me there is. If I told you, if I, you know, I know you're not a betting guy. I, I, I send you to Vegas with a hypothetical uh, bet, hundred dollars on, or a lot more money, whatever, on Alabama over under a half of a national championship. The rest of the Nick Saban era. In other words, will they win one more championship under Nick Saban? I think the obvious answer is yes, but. You brought up the NIL stuff. Transfer portal's a factor. Uh, you know, Georgia is has arrived. Nick Saban's 71 years old. Like, like, we can't ignore the fact that Nick Saban is 71 years old. So we only got a few seconds here. But if I gave you over under a half a national championship, will he win one more before he retires, knowing next year he's going to have a first-time starter at quarterback? Georgia's arrived. We're going to a 12-team playoff. You might have to win an extra game on top of everything else. What would you say to that? I'm never going to bet against Nick Saban. It's just not going to happen. And I don't want to hedge by saying this. I would take the over, but I wouldn't be surprised if I lost my money. Yeah. If that makes any sense. No, it does. And keep in mind, 71 years old, uh, we're going to have a new quarterback next year. And yeah, I just think it's harder to build and maintain what he has done just because of, as you said, NIL, Transfer Portal, all that good stuff. Fox Sports Radio, Aaron Torres, Jason Martin. Coming up, we bring in DeSager, his extended update. He's got a lot on this World Series title for the Houston Astros, some on the Philadelphia Phillies, plus a busy day in college football. DeSager next, Fox Sports Radio. Do you love Selena? Like, really love whether you saw her live, saw the movie as a kid, or saw her looks all over TikTok, there's no shortage of reasons to stand the Queen of Tejano. And Stan, we do over three whole episodes of our podcast, Becoming an Icon. We're reminiscing as lifelong Selena fans, sharing hot takes and telling her story. Listen to Becoming an Icon on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search Becoming an Icon. Welcome back, everybody. Fox Sports Radio, Aaron Torres, Jason Martin here Saturday night. As we do every time around this uh, around this time every Saturday, let's get to Steve DeSager, extended update. DeSager, what do you got for us? Well, our John Morosi, who covers baseball very well, points out that two of the oldest managers in the game these days are Brian Snitker and Dusty Baker, and those are your two World Series winners these last two years at age 67 and 73, respectively. Game six to Houston at home, beating Philadelphia 4-1. So the city of Philadelphia loses a title twice on the same day. The Phillies tonight on Fox TV and the game right before the baseball tonight on Fox TV, Philadelphia lost the Major League Soccer final, a phenomenal game that went to penalty kicks at LAFC. LAFC had tied this game late in extra time, the 128th minute to make it 3-3 and then one on penalties. And then they went to the baseball pregame. Uh, one note before we leave the baseball is that one of the great researchers out there from White Sox TV, Christopher Kamp, uh, uh, treated, uh, tweeted tonight that Dusty Baker's managerial debut came in 1993 against the Cardinals. 
and the Cardinals' leadoff hitter that day was Jeremy Pena's dad. Whoa! And <laughs> Geronimo Pena. And tonight, the rookie shortstop Jeremy Pena wins World Series MVP for manager Dusty Baker. Does, does, did Houston. anybody ask Dusty Baker about that in the postgame? That's kind of incredible. That huh? is pretty incredible. Absolutely it is. Going back to 93. So Dusty in his, what, 25th year of managing, age 73, gets his first World Series. So in downtown L.A., some of you may know that USC is playing right now at the L.A. Coliseum. This is their home game, uh, homecoming game. But right next door is where this LAFC soccer stadium is. It was built on where the Clippers used to play at the L.A. Sports Arena. Well, LAFC, nobody knew they were going to play today until last weekend when they won their semifinal. So all the parking spaces are taken by USC. Nobody for soccer was allowed to park there south of downtown today. So they were saying on the local news all week, if you're going to the soccer, which is an afternoon game before USC at night, either take rideshare or the first 5,000 cars at the Dodger Stadium parking lot, nowhere close, can get in for free there and then just shuttle from Dodger Stadium the five, six miles south to the soccer game. And then soccer goes not only overtime, but penalty kicks. And by the time people are exiting the soccer stadium, USC people are well into their homecoming tailgating before tonight's game. It was a crowded but enjoyable evening, I'm sure, for all. And often on this show, we have pointed out in the Pac-12 exactly how bad Stanford football is these days. Can I just say out loud... Stanford did win at Notre Dame this year. How is this possible? So how did Stanford do today, you might ask? Well, they were home against Washington State, two teams that had just one conference win each going in. Halftime, Stanford was losing at home 42-7. to AP says the only conference game in the Pac-12 with a bigger point differential at the half in the last four years was when Stanford, one year ago today, was down 38 nothing at the half against Utah. So Washington State scored more points in the first half today, 42, than it scored in its previous three games on this three-game losing streak coming into today. Stanford lost four fumbles in the first half. A Stanford team hadn't lost four fumbles in a game in the last 20 years. So, yes, Stanford winds up losing badly. And then there's uh, Clemson, which lost badly at Notre Dame tonight. In fact, it was Irish 28-0 early in the fourth quarter. According to The Athletic, tonight was Clemson's worst loss to an unranked team in over a decade since NC State beat him in 2011. For Notre Dame, their biggest win over a top-five club since 1995 when the Irish beat USC. In the Big Ten, Iowa scored 17 points just in the second quarter. Wound up winning 24-3 at Purdue today against a Purdue team that might win that division. But guess what? Even though Illinois lost at home to Michigan State, Illinois still leads Big Ten West by one game, and it'll host Purdue next week. Thank you very much, Steve DeSager. Uh, DeSager will join us one final time in Hour 4. Speaking of which, coming up, Hour 4, we talk some NFL Week 9. A lot going on. We haven't even talked NFL yet. Obviously, Bernie Fratto will join us in Hour 4 as well to preview the NFL slate and, of course, recap college football as well. Plenty more coming up. Aaron Torres, Jason Martin here on a busy Saturday night. Fox Sports Radio. Welcome in, everybody. Hour 4, Fox Sports Radio. Aaron Torres, Jason Martin, coming to you live from the TireRack.com studios. TireRack.com will help you get there. An unmatched selection, fast free shipping, free road hazard protection, and over 10,000 recommended installers. 
TireRack.com, the way tire buying should be. Aaron Torres, Jason Martin here. Crazy Saturday night. If you missed any of the college football coverage or, of course, our coverage of the Astros clinching the World Series title, go ahead and make sure to download the podcast after the show. But, Jason, it is time. Finally, to turn our attention to week ele- uh, week nine of the NFL. I just saw 11 on my screen. Week nine of the NFL started with a Philly win over uh, Houston on Thursday night. Really quick, Jason, th- there's a lot to get to, but where are you at on Philly? Because I, I look at it from two perspectives. Is one... What they're doing is absolutely incredible. Uh, obviously, uh, off to the undefeated start, ahead uh, in the NFC East, that's all of a sudden very competitive. But two, as a lot of these other teams, as Green Bay continues to struggle, as the Rams and the Bucks, who play tomorrow, continue to struggle, it's going to be really, really, really interesting because I understand that the Vikings are still there and some of these NFC East teams. But, uh, you know, as we go on, it's starting to look more and more like Philly is not only having success during this regular season, but is putting themselves in great position to get uh, that number one seed in the NFC East. Yeah, they're 8-0, and and I believe that if you polled a bunch of people and said, is Philadelphia the best team in the NFL, let's say you did 10,000, I-, I bet you less than 1,000 of them would say yes. I feel like most NFL people or would NFC. say Buffalo. Okay, 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 okay. Well, NFC, maybe even NFC, you probably uh, – there'd be a smattering. Most of the teams you expected to be there aren't there. The Rams have faltered. The Bucks seem like they're falling apart. Those two teams match up uh, in a pretty big game for both of those two teams in a rematch of a playoff game that came down to the wire last year as well. And then, of course, Green Bay has not lived up to expectations. Cowboys have been better than we thought they were going to be despite their head coach and their quarterback dropping out for a month. The Vikings have one loss. Nobody really taking them seriously, but eventually you're going to have to if they keep on winning games. And then you've seen some teams kind of emerge out of the ether. I think the problem with Philadelphia comes down to one thing. People still don't believe in Jalen Hurts. That has to be it because A.J. Brown you buy into. Devontae Smith you buy into. Their offensive line you buy into. Maybe you don't love their run game, but they're sneaky. They're, they're sneaky pretty good, honestly. You have what you want, and then you got Jalen Hurts, who all he's done is get better every year. His completion percentage is up. He's got great synergy with his receivers. He's a winner. He always has been, even if you didn't like his accuracy in college or felt like he couldn't throw the football as well as you wanted him to. He always gave you a shot, and he was a flat-out gamer and a, and a leader. I think that's the most important thing. But I think that's the difference. I think when you look at Josh Allen, you feel a certain type of way. You look at Patrick Mahomes, you feel a certain type of way. You look at Jalen Hurts, and you're still asking him to prove it to you every single week. I think that's the biggest stumbling block right now for people's opinion on the Eagles is that they have not completely bought into Jalen Hurts. And increasingly, we are seeing that that needs to stop because he's playing great football. I totally agree. Um, and, yeah, I'm, I mean, I think 
part of it is I think we have this narrative in our head of what a Super Bowl winning quarterback has to look like in this era of football. Um, you know, uh, big arm, super accurate, strong downfield. That's obviously could be Tom Brady. It could be Patrick Mahomes. It could be uh, Matthew Stafford. It could be Josh Allen, even though he's never won a Super Bowl. And Jalen Hurts doesn't fit that description. But to your point, I mean, listen, guys had success everywhere he's gone. Um, you know, he's putting up uh, the best numbers of his career this year, obviously, um, and and I don't disagree. Is that that you know he is the right guy for that group of guys, and they are having a ton of success. And again, it comes back down to exactly what I just said: is that a lot of those teams in the NFC that we thought would be st- not even standing in the way of Philly, but that we thought would be atop the the standings in the NFC uh, are struggling right now. And so, with that said, let's get to the Week Nine slate because obviously the big one or at least the one that was supposed to be the big one, uh, the Los Angeles Rams. Uh, they, they're coming off that loss to San Francisco, second straight loss to them. They travel to Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay coming off, I'm sure everybody's talked about it on these airwaves over the last couple of days, first three-game losing streak of Tom Brady's career, have not played since Thursday night. Let me ask you this, Jason. Is, I know we've probably dived maybe even a little bit too much into Tom Brady's personal life, but the divorce is final, um, and there's no need to make light of a, a sad family situation, but the divorce is final. Um, I would think, and, and I've never been divorced, so I don't know, but but most of the, the stuff that goes into that is behind Tom Brady. They did get the extra couple days having played on a Thursday night. Um, do, do you think that maybe tomorrow, especially against a Rams team that's really struggling, especially on the offensive line, do you think tomorrow's maybe we start to see a little bit more of a vintage Tom Brady, or at the very least, this Bucks team in a still very manageable NFC South. Do you think maybe this is the the week that they start to start to look like maybe the team that we expected in the preseason? Uh, well, I mean they better because they're putting them. They're luckily in a horrible division. I mean the Falcons are four and four. No one thinks they're good. They're still in a rebuild mode. Marcus is not their long term answer. Weirdly enough, if I was a Falcons fan, I'd be a little bit upset. I mean Arthur Smith is proving he can do this. And they are winning in ways that just seem incomprehensible. But this is a year you don't want to win. This is <laughs> yep. a year because there's quarterbacks out there that you could go that can reset your franchise in a way that maybe you didn't have the opportunity to do last year. And you're going to have a lot of money to potentially also throw around. So they were in prime spot and they keep on winning. But for Tampa Bay, it's gone from bad to worse. Tom's situation off the field is just saddening. Uh, it truly is. I hate that it's happened. I wish he had stayed retired, but he didn't, and he's come back, and now he's playing football. He's dealt with some injuries to guys. His offensive line, that's just going to be a problem for him for the rest of the year. He got teed off on on that Thursday night game, obviously, and then they lose Shaq Barrett as well on that Thursday night game. They're just losing guys left and right. It doesn't seem like a good mixture. I don't know if they're going to right the ship, but they need to right the ship Pretty much right now. The Rams are kind of half broken. The Bucks feel like they're about three quarters broken to me right now. And the question is, is Tom going to, all right, well, everything off the field has been a problem. I'm laser focused on the field because that's the one thing I can still control. Is that it? And is that going to lead him to play inspired football at least for a few weeks or in the short term or whatever? Or... Is this thing just kind of off the rails, off the tracks? It wasn't a good mix during the offseason. 
he was kind of divided in his time. He wasn't able to spend time with his new weapons the way that he's used to throughout much of his career, and this whole thing is futile. We're going to figure that out. So I, I don't know the answer. I don't know if they're going to wake up. I would tend to think, you know what? I don't know. I have no idea what to make of either one of these two teams right now, between the Rams and the Bucks. You got two teams that you assumed were going to be really good. Neither one of them looks good right now. Yeah, it's so weird because to me, and, and I don't know if you agree, if you would agree with this, it, it feels different in the sense that the Bucks feels like there are some problems off the field, no doubt, but a lot of it just feels like the wrong headspace. You know, Tom Brady's in this weird place, which then leads to him yelling at guys on the sideline, and those guys don't want to deal with it because they're grown men too, all that stuff. Um, the Rams, and so, so so for the Bucks, it feels somewhat more fixable because you just got to get everybody back on track. But then it doesn't feel fixable because obviously there's chaos, at least for right now, in Tom Brady's personal life. The Rams, I, I don't get the sense they don't like each other or there's locker room issues. I just think a lot of stuff broke right for them last year. You know, obviously having Odell in that wide receiver core, as you've brought up many times, Allen Robinson has not been, uh, 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 you know, capable of replacing him. Um, you know, Andrew Whitworth retiring is way bigger than any of us made it out to be in the preseason. I didn't hear anybody talking about that as being like this huge, undeniable X factor that's going to impact the Rams. No Vaughn Miller. So that's the weird part to me, Jason, is like, like, the the Bucks and Rams both feel different, but in some ways, I think you can make the argument that it's easier for the Bucks to flip it around. I think you can make the argument that it's easier for the Rams. Like like the Rams, I don't know if they can fix the problems that they have. Where the Bucks, it can get fixed, but I don't know if it will get fixed. Does that make sense at all? Because that's the way that I envision. It. I don't know if I explained myself well. Yeah, sort of. The Rams to me kind of feel like a team that's sort of on autopilot a little bit this year. It, it's it's like they're high on their own supply. They won the Super Bowl last year. The Rams were always kind of more of a finesse team. They were a flash team. Von Miller's a culture setter. I'm a Denver Broncos fan. I've watched the guy's entire career. I know what kind of tone he set defensively. He goes to the Rams. All of a sudden, they've got bite, especially because they already have Aaron Donald there. But Von Miller just adds a little bit extra to sort of the mean factor. Now what does he do in the offseason? He goes to Buffalo. What does Buffalo look like right now? Well, they look like by far the best team in the NFL. They look like a team that I will not bet against in any game they play from here through the Super Bowl. That's how good they look. On both sides of the ball, the culture for the Rams, I don't know what to make of them when I watch them, except that, and this does sound derogatory and I guess intended, they look soft to me. They look like they won a championship and they're still on the honeymoon. They, they still look like they're celebrating in downtown Los Angeles, not realizing that there's a new season and that trophy is only rented for a year. Like mm -hmm. it's either going to be your, it's only going to be yours again if you're able to defend it in Arizona. And right now they don't look like a championship team and they don't look like they have a championship attitude about them. The one thing you can say about Tampa Bay right now is they are up against the wall and it's full on blue collar at this point in time because they have run through massive adversity on the field, off the field, turnover with the head coach, potential controversy between your star Hall of Fame, greatest quarterback of all time, and the old head coach. How is he working with the new head coach? What's going on in his personal life? Julio Jones is 18,000 years old and you bring him in. You've got all these new factors. You've got no AB this year. You've, everything has been changed for them. 
So they've run through adversity. The Rams, to me, felt like they were living on easy street, and now they've realized, and I don't know if they've realized yet, but we all realize, hey, it's a new season. Both you and the Cincinnati Bengals, the two representatives for their respective conferences in the Super Bowl last year, I think it is fair at this point to ask the question if either one of those teams is particularly good. Well, it's a question we should start to get an answer to tomorrow because the team that loses that one is going to be in big trouble, especially if it is the Rams. Fox Sports Radio, Aaron Torres, Jason Martin here taking you up till 2 a.m. Eastern. Coming up, we go out to Vegas. Our buddy Bernie Fratto. Shout out to Bernie Fratto, who was adamant that Georgia was the right side today. He's going to join us next to talk about that, some stuff from the World Series, Week 9 in the NFL. Aaron Torres, Jason Martin, Fox Sports Radio. Do you love Selena? Like, really love? Whether you saw her live, saw the movie as a kid, or saw her looks all over TikTok, there's no shortage of reasons to stand the Queen of Tejano. And Stan, we do over three whole episodes of our podcast, Becoming an Icon. We're reminiscing as lifelong Selena fans, sharing hot takes and telling her story. Listen to Becoming an Icon on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search Becoming an Icon. Welcome back, everybody. Fox Sports Radio. This is the Fox Sports Radio tailgate presented by the Big Green Egg. Nothing beats the flavor of live fire cooking on a Big Green Egg. It's the most versatile grill you'll ever own. Backed by a lifetime warranty. Roll with the best. Shop online for free delivery at BigGreenEgg.com. Lifetime warranty. Free home delivery. BigGreenEgg.com. All right. When you hear that music, when you hear Big Pimpin' at one twenty Eastern Time, it means only one thing. It is time to head out to Vegas. Bernie Fratto, host of the Bernie Fratto Show, will follow us, but he joins us now. Bernie, what's going on, man? Hey, guys, I'm curious. Did you get a chance to get a glimpse at that West Toronto Prep IMG game last night? I saw six to nothing at halftime, and they called the game. There were a lot of Bishop Sycamore jokes floating around social oh. media on uh, on that one. So I did not see that, Bernie. I do want to ask you really quick. By the way, there's a lot to get to on this. Uh, speaking of football, though, I, I, you know, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but but you seem very confident that you like Georgia against Tennessee. And, and give us the numbers as best as you know them. There was an insane amount of money coming in on Tennessee all week in Vegas, and you went the other way, right, Bern? Yeah, I uh, texted you guys out this morning just to put it on the record. So prior to Friday, 91% of the money had come in on Tennessee. And after Friday, about 69% started to come in on Georgia. So let's go back about three weeks. We talked about it on your show. There was an advanced line that was put out. It was called a send-off line. And Tennessee opened up as an 11.5-point underdog. And when the book does that, they're testing the waters and they take limited bets and some Tennessee money came in, not a lot. And uh, then two weeks later, Tennessee's power rating improved. And by the way, again, these lines, they're all based on power ratings. Remember, remember Las Vegas is is not in the you know prediction business. We're not in the fortune-telling business. All they want to do is manage risk and, and create an instrument where the books can minimize risk and maximize profit. So then the line became eight, and I fired on Georgia on a two-unit play. And it comes down to defense, guys. I had all these numbers. I talked about this for a good 10 minutes last night. We won't go over the whole thing. I'll just hit a couple of key points. There was a real chink in Tennessee's armor. They only ranked 40th in pass defense efficiency. But here's the bigger problem. Out of 131 D1 schools, they ranked 127 without a passing yards allowed. 
Now, that's crazy. 127. They're behind North Texas and Kent State. The other thing, too, is Georgia had the number one total defense overall when it comes to per-possession scoring advantage versus defensive drive efficiency. I know a lot of this sounds like hieroglyphics, but it makes a lot of sense. And Tennessee only ranked 33rd, so I believe Georgia had a very distinct uh, defensive advantage. And Georgia had the number three offense as well, so it wasn't like they weren't able to score. So when the two got on the field and Georgia started to win the line of scrimmage, and I think the crowd had something to do with it. And, you know, one thing led to another, and it was Georgia's day. But, when you know, one of the basic fundamental tenets of handicapping is you try to find strength versus weaknesses. You had two outstanding offenses. You had one great defense and one just okay defense. Bernie, who's the second-best team in the country just based on your observation and your eye test, I, I know that it won't necessarily be the same when the actual playoff rankings come out, but if you had a chance to put a team at number two right now, who do you think is the second-best team in the country? Ohio State, and I know that they haven't exactly earned a lot of brownie points in the last few weeks, and they're not exactly style points driven, but they did what they needed to do in Penn State, and today... The one thing that'll screw up a dynamic offense like Ohio State is wind. And it was windy and rainy and the whole deal. And if you watch the second half of the game, which I did, Ohio State basically ran four plays. And they said, we know what we need to do to win the game. We're just going to do what we need to do. Get in, get out. That's it. We're not going to get any style points. And Pat Fitzgerald is always tough at home as an underdog. But make no mistake about Ohio State. They have that fifth, sixth, seventh gear that Michigan does not have. And they're doing everything they need to do. And this is more about survive and advance than it is just blowing teams out. Even before today, a lot of folks thought Georgia looked vulnerable. Tennessee looked vulnerable against Pitt. Clemson finally went down. DJU, it caught up with them. Alabama, all the mistakes, and they had penalties again today, it caught up with them. There are no great football teams in college football right now, like the old Miami Hurricanes, the old Notre Dame teams, the earlier Alabama teams, you name it, whichever direction you want to go. But to answer your question, Jason, 100% Ohio State's the second-best team in the country. So, Bern, I tried to explain earlier the Mattress Mac phenomenon, but yeah. f- but for people, you know, you could probably explain it better than me, and then I could be mistaken, but everything I'm reading, this is the single biggest score, multiple sports books, but single biggest score for one sporting event in the history of U.S. sports betting. Is that correct? It is. Uh, so it goes back to April, early in the season, Mattress Mac bet three million on the Astros to win the World Series at Caesars at ten to one, and then he also plunked down another million at WinBet at ten to one. Then in July, he threw another two million at BetMGM at five to one, another two million at Barstool at six to one, and another million at a couple of other offshore books, and one at Betfred at five to one. You added them all up, he paid out about seventy-five million dollars. But what he did, I think, what he did was earlier in the year they had a promotion in Houston where anybody who spent 3000 or more at his store could come back and get a refund for their purchases while keeping all the items they bought if the Astros won the World Series. So that's basically what happened there. Everybody's kind of happy about it. It's not that big a deal. I know people scoff at Mattress Mac. Look, he's not a professional better. He's just a showman. He's P.T. Barnum. He even got into a shoddy match with some Philly fans the other day. So Mattress Mac is his phenomenon. He's not going away. We always talk about him. But this is one where he came out on top. And Caesars actually enjoyed. Caesars paid $30 million of that $75 million. It was spread about you know five books. 
Uh, and so he got the publicity he wanted, and I'm imagining all the good folks who spent that money are looking forward to coming back and getting their refunds. Bernie, uh, we asked you about this last week. Obviously, it was happening in real time, but your time spent in the state of Michigan for, you know, for a long, long time and tied into the Big Ten, the ugliness of the incident with Michigan and Michigan State teams that both won uh, yesterday. What have you learned? What have you been able to piece together about the incident in the tunnel? Yeah, so here's what happened, guys. Uh, first of all, just to set the record straight, that tunnel has been in existence since 1927, and the protocol has always been the same. The visiting team takes the field first, then Michigan. Same with when they exit the field. The visiting team exits first, then Michigan. There's been some misconceptions that people saying they both come out at the same time. The game ended Saturday night, and I know Michigan State did not like it. They were down big, and Harbaugh lined up and threw a pass late. Now, Harbaugh and Mel Tucker shook hands, but most of the players didn't shake hands, and Michigan players, while on the field, were kind of waving goodbye and snarking at the Michigan State players and saying, you know, take your ass back to Lee Lansing type thing. Well, somehow, Jamon Green, who, who was really the recipient of the getting hit in the head with a helmet, this is really an unfortunate situation, Somehow, he kind of skipped ahead in front of the Michigan State team and got in the tunnel in front of Michigan State. I don't think he meant any harm, and I've known, I hear not one account of anything that he said to provoke anybody. There were no F-bombs, there were no threats, there was nothing. He just was in the wrong place at the wrong time, and there was spontaneous combustion, and as many as eight Michigan State players were involved. One swung the helmet, broke his nose, hit him in the head, bruised his shoulder. He's lawyered up. I believe there's probably going to be uh, I think there's a very good chance there's going to be uh, uh, criminal charges. The bottom line is, what I was trying to find out is, did somebody say something in that tunnel to provoke the Michigan State players? And every account, every mole, every not one thing was said, allegedly. And even the Michigan State folks, basically, none of them accused Michigan. There was no account of any of the Michigan State people accusing Michigan of making any inflammatory remarks which would have provoked it. So it was spontaneous combustion. It was one of those situations extremely unfortunate. I think it's going to be a while before Michigan State lives this down. I think there's going to be more uh, investigations, and they're ongoing, and I still think there will be some criminal charges. Uh, Burn, really quick, we've got about a minute left. Um, I want to throw the floor to you. Um, uh, we did lose somebody big in football, Ray Guy, uh, greatest punter of all time. know you have a little story on him. I think you're going to like this, guys. Everybody knows Ray Guy was drafted in the first round by Al Davis back in 1973. It was a genius move. Ended up being part of three Super Bowl teams. Ended up being part of seven Pro Bowls. He came from Georgia. What's interesting is Ray Guy was almost a mythical athlete in high school. While he was on his high school football team on offense, he not only played quarterback and running back and was a kick returner. On defense, he played both ways, linebacker and safety. He also punted. Believe it or not, he punted. And he kicked in high school as well. Once kicked a 61-yard field goal in the snow and had a 93-yard punt. He also played high school basketball. And the day after the state high school championship football game, the basketball team had a game. He hadn't been able to go to one practice, hadn't picked up a ball in almost a year, steps on the floor, scores 39 points. The following spring, he also was a pitcher on the baseball team and in the state semifinals. He pitched a 15-inning shutout complete game. 
He was also drafted by three different Major League Baseball teams while he was in high school and in college. A prolific athlete and a legend. And, uh, yeah, rest in peace, Ray Guy. Died this last week at 72. Bernie, you always got the stories, man. You always got the goods. Bernie Fratto, the Bernie Fratto Show. You can hear him at the top of the hour. Bernie will be listening. We appreciate the time. And, as always, we appreciate the insight as well. Thanks so much, guys. Really appreciate it. That is Bernie Fratto of the Bernie Fratto Show. You can hear him again at the top of the hour. Also, make sure to follow him on Twitter at Bernie Fratto. Coming up, we look back uh, or look ahead, excuse me, to the rest of the week nine slate. Before we do, though, final time this evening, Steve DeSager, what's trending? Hello, the baseball postseason is over. Houston, the world champs, taking game six of the World Series over Philadelphia 4-1. You know, this is the second straight MLB postseason. We didn't have a single game seven, either league, any round. Jordan Alvarez with a three-run homer, bottom of the six, 450 feet to center field off a 99-mile-an-hour pitch. Alvarez had been two for 21 at the plate in the World Series. That was the key blow in the 4-1 win. Kyle Schwarber had just hit a solo homer top of the six to break a scoreless tie. The rest of the Philly offense went two for 26 in this game. The save to Ryan Presley, series MVP, shortstop Jeremy Pena. He was also ALCS MVP. Winning pitcher Framber Valdez had nine strikeouts in six innings. Houston was in the World Series for the fourth time the last six years. They started this postseason going 7-0 and the first couple of rounds. They win the title. Philadelphia had the worst ERA among this season's playoff teams. About a four-team ERA. They give up four and lose tonight. The Phillies, though, did make the World Series, which is stunning in and of itself because as of early June, they had a record of 22-29 and 29 when the bench coach replaced the fired manager, Joe Girardi. Rob Thompson has only managed about 100 regular season games. That is the fewest for any non-player manager to reach a World Series. And now Fox will televise the World Baseball Classic in March. Team USA with team captain Mike Trout opens in Phoenix in March. And Bryce Harper, JT Real Munto among the major leaguers due to play for Team USA. Baltimore's got the Monday night football game at New Orleans, but Ravens star tight end Mark Andrews is doubtful with knee and shoulder injuries. Running back Gus Edwards also doubtful. Saints wide receiver Jarvis Landry questionable. The Falcons are hosting the Chargers tomorrow. Atlanta activated running back Cordero Patterson. Titans quarterback Ryan Tannehill with the bad ankle was said to be a game-time decision for Sunday night at Kansas City. He did travel with the team. Cardinals punter Andy Lee questionable due to illness. It's looking like James Conner could play at running back, but Jets running back James Robinson questionable for the game against the Bills tomorrow with a knee injury. NHL Vegas won its seventh in a row 11-2 record after beating Montreal 6-4. MLS final went to LAFC at home on penalty kicks over Philadelphia. The Breeders' Cup Classic was won by Flightline by eight and a half lengths. The horse is 6-0. In the NBA, Milwaukee's 9-0 after beating Oklahoma City. Overtime wins for Atlanta and Sacramento. And kudos to Dusty Baker, by the way, before we leave baseball. I got to mention, it's about 40 years between titles. He was a Dodger outfielder winning the title in 1981 and now as a manager in his 70s wins a World Series. Congratulations to him. Now, a bit of college football trivia for the both of you. Can you name among the Power Five conferences the team that has gone the longest without beating a ranked team, beating an opponent that is ranked in the AP oh Top goodness. 25 at the time? The answer is 
the team that was leading Michigan at the half tonight, actually. Oh. Rutgers has gone since 2009 without a win over an AP rank team, and yet Rutgers led Michigan at the half 17-14 and, and didn't score again. 52-17 Michigan the final to stay undefeated, and Rutgers only had five first downs tonight, rushing as a team, 19 carries. 14 yards in the big 12 while kansas got a win at home against oklahoma state that's notable because kansas used to hold the record they finally beat an ap ranked teams and this was one of their biggest wins over any ranked team well also in conference uh, baylor won at oklahoma 38 35 the sooners two and four in conference in late night football at number nine usc man if the trojans just had a defense this year they're only leading cal 34 27 with eight and a half minutes to go and just starting the fourth quarter 12th ranked ucla leads at arizona state 42 to 25 the two late games in the mountain west have fresno state leading late 55 7 now against hawaii and san jose state's up 21 10 on colorado state televised today from dallas air force won at army 13 to 7 liberty held on for a win at arkansas 21 19 and byu won at boise state tonight 31 28 we have heard about uconn football during the show did not mention that Western Kentucky won 59-7 That's at right. Charlotte, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, still undefeated in Conference USA is UT San Antonio, which got a double overtime win at UAB. Great game at LSU tonight. Overtime win for the Tigers against Alabama, 32-31 on a two-point pass. Notre Dame rep Clemson, 35-14. Georgia dominated Tennessee, 27-13. Back to you. Thank you, Steve DeSager. Uh, by the way, UConn, one win to bowl eligibility. Unfortunately, they are hosting... The Liberty Flames next week. Not feeling good about that one after today. Fox Sports Radio, Aaron Torres, Jason Martin here putting a bow on this show. We just previewed uh, prior to Bernie a little bit of the uh, week nine slate. Let's get to it, Jason. Let's keep it going. Uh, You know, Jets, Bills, obviously uh, – Interesting game. I mean, Buffalo is just steamrolling everybody. Obviously destroyed Green Bay last Sunday night. Uh, The Jets did take the loss against the Patriots at home. Of course, keep in mind that Bill Belichick, for all of the Patriots' faults, has always been very good against young quarterbacks. Really interesting game. I know the Bills are a double-digit favorite, and I think they will be for most of the competition that they play the rest of the year. Uh, Do you see the scenario where the Jets can pull off the inner division upset at home against Buffalo? Not really. Yeah. I said before I'm not going to bet against the Bills up to and including the Super Bowl this year. It's a division game, and they take on kind of the mentality of their coach and their coach is passionate, and he's very intense, especially on the defensive side of the ball. So I could see it maybe being a little bit of a muck-up game because you've seen the Bills really flying high and just dominating teams, just boat racing teams, or putting up big-time points on teams. 11.5 is a big-time number. It really is. But there's nothing about what the Bills are doing to indicate they can't win this game by 20. I I mean, the, the problem for the Jets is their biggest issue is their quarterback. He's not good. At least right now, there is nothing about his game that should give you any good feels if you were a Jets fan. It's a big-time problem because you've got some talent elsewhere, but you are massively hampered by QB1. Yeah, just too reckless with the ball, and you know they've tried to take the ball out of his hands, but 
against anyone, you're going to have to eventually have your quarterback make plays. I think certainly against this Buffalo offense, that'll be much the same. Really quick, I mean, uh, something I don't think anybody saw coming. The Packers on a four-game losing streak. They travel to Detroit, which is on its own five-game losing streak. Maybe you could have pictured that part, but uh, wheels starting to come off for Dan Campbell. But, of course, the wheels have fallen off for Aaron Rodgers and the Pack. Struggle City, obviously, again, we're not going to judge them against the uh, Buffalo offense last week, but that game was not even competitive. Uh, and then now going to Detroit. D- is this the week Green Bay bounces back? But more importantly, Jason, we talked about it with the Rams and the Bucks. I mean, it, it, do you see the scenario where they turn things around? Because I'll be honest, I think you and I went through the schedule late last week, late, late in last week's show, and there isn't really a stretch where you sit there and say, okay, Green Bay is going to get right over this four-game stretch, go 3-1, and one, tough schedule ahead. They still have a, a visit to excuse me, to, to Philadelphia. They still have the Cowboys on the schedule, the Titans on the schedule, another game against the Vikings, the Rams. I don't think this gets any easier from here on out. It doesn't. This is a must-win for them, not because they don't have other games, but because this is a game that if you're good, you win a game like this. I know it's a division game. The Lions play hard, but they only have one win. You are reeling. You have proven yourself inept against uh, against mediocre teams as well as good teams. You did nothing at the trade deadline. So either you guys are punting on this season, assuming that you're not coming back around, or it better start right now. I tend to think they will have a get-right game, but I don't think this season is get-right. I don't have Green Bay anywhere near the Super Bowl. They may make the playoffs because you don't know what's going to happen in the NFC because who do you really trust outside of maybe one or two teams? But I don't like them at all. I don't like I, I don't like the body language language emanating from your quarterback. I don't like anything that's going on with those wide receivers right now. Matt LaFleur, there are flaws in his game. Nothing feels right about Green Bay right now, but I do think they will win this game. I agree. Last one really quick. Sunday night, uh, Tennessee, you live in Nashville, is traveling to KC. Obviously, KC coming off that bye. Uh, When we last saw them, they took care of the 49ers. The Titans, meanwhile, in a weak AFC South. You know, we we wrote them off. Uh, they're sitting at five and two all of a sudden, uh, and have a comfortable lead in the division. And obviously, uh, you know, trying to trying to once again get that number one seed. They themselves have won five games in a row after an zero two start. Quick thoughts on that one, Jason? Yeah. So their two losses are to the Giants and Bills, the Titans. Here, they've lost to maybe the best team in the league and one of the most surprisingly competitive and good teams in the league with what the Giants have done this year in the first season uh, with Brian Dable. And that was a one-point game that was won in the end because they went for two. Then they've beaten the Raiders. They've beaten the Colts twice and pretty much put the division to bed. They've still got Jacksonville twice, but Jacksonville's not anything. And they've beaten the Commanders and Texans. Now they've got some games coming out. They've got the Packers. They've got the Bengals. They've got the Eagles. They've got the Chiefs. That's four of their next five games. It starts with the Chiefs, who they've actually owned in the regular season. They've done really well against Patrick Mahomes, and this is a Mike Vrabel special. He loves these primetime games. I would feel much better about this, one, if I thought Ryan Tannehill was healthy, two, if it was in Nashville and not in Kansas City, but three, if I hadn't seen what the Buffalo Bills did to this team. 
on Monday Night Football in another one of those kind of games where you expect Vrabel's teams to show up and, and do more than you expect, and they got beat 41-7, to and it was an absolute laugher. 12.5 is a big-time number that I don't know that I would take if I were a betting guy, but I just think with all these circumstances, the Chiefs are just flat-out better, and with the home environment and Mahomes in prime time, I, I find a hard – even though it's hard for me to pick against the Titans in games that you feel like they have no chance in because they just do this for a living and Brable deserves a ton of credit for it, I just think the Chiefs are going to beat them. I don't think they're going to beat them by 12.5 necessarily, but they're going to beat them. Fox Sports Radio, Aaron Torres, Jason Martin. One segment left. We make our Week 9 NFL picks. That's next, Fox Sports Radio. Welcome back, everybody. Fox Sports Radio, Aaron Torres, Jason Martin here. We are taking you to the top of the hour Bernie Fratto of the Bernie Fratto Show follows us. Uh, Bernie's got a lot of good stuff. By the way, there are two like very important college football games that are still technically going on, Jason. Uh, USC, number nine in the first college football playoff poll. They are up 41-27 to 27 over Cal, about 352 left. USC uh, is up by two touchdowns. Cal with the ball. And UCLA at Arizona State is up 14 points. Uh, eight minutes left in that one, 42 to 28. UCLA was the number 12 team in the college football playoff poll. So, you know, we talked a lot of college football earlier, Jason, but there's still some relevant college football going on here as we approach 2 a.m. Eastern time. Yeah, there is. And Caleb Williams, who I mentioned earlier, was just like, well, if you're thinking about the Heisman, and it's a week-to-week deal, and there's still a lot of football left to be played, Hooker's going to stat pad the next three games, you would assume, because the opponents are not going to provide much of an opposition. Bryce Young had an average night, despite being a wizard, you know, even him, at some point, he was going to have his troubles, and he did. C.J. Stroud didn't do anything to help his case. He's had a couple of these kind of games that just haven't been particularly impressive. One guy you can look at, though, is Caleb Williams. Caleb Williams only had one interception, like Henry Hooker, coming into the day, and now he's got four touchdowns, no picks, and another rushing touchdown. So five total touchdowns, another win coming for a top-10 USC team that'll be 8-1 and one. Uh, after this game and we already kind of going into the season Caleb Williams was already looked at as one of the cream of the crop players if not the best player in college football certainly one of the two or three that was on most people's ballot so I would say his Heisman candidacy has to be advancing in a proper direction right now very random thought but you know you and I obviously hosting in this spot I was thinking about this earlier so week one Utah goes to the swamp and I, I think if Utah plays Florida in any other week, they win. But Anthony Richardson, nobody had really seen him play. He Florida gets the win. Florida's been not very good since. We're like basically a Utah stop in the red zone away from having a four-way tie with four eight-and-one teams in the in the Pac-12, which would be – the Pac-12 race should be good down the stretch with UCLA and USC, assuming they win today, both advancing to eight-and-one. But, you know, we're not that far away from, from potentially having four eight-and-one teams at this time of the year. I should mention, by the way, Cal has just scored to cut the lead to uh, one touchdown extra point pending with about three minutes to go, Jason. One thing you do need to mention about USC as a whole, their defense is not very good. No, nope. they're just not because they've given up points to virtually everybody. It's it's kind of offensive at this point. Like, their offense just keeps on doing it. Tonight, Caleb's doing it without his top two wide receivers. And he's doing it in an impressive fashion. The offense has been exactly what you would expect from Lincoln Riley. And sadly, so has the defense. 
So that's going to need to be cleaned up. But this wasn't the year you assumed USC was going to be competing for a national championship. I still think they I think they're in good shape. I feel like Lincoln Riley has done an excellent job and certainly Caleb Williams helps you kind of get yourself jump started. Well, I'll tell you what, uh not to nerd out here, but this game is far from done. Cal yeah, trailing by 8 with 231 left and they're doing the analytics thing of going for two rather than kicking the extra point, which obviously would mean that uh, you know, if they were to convert the two-point conversion, uh they'd be down 6, have a chance to win the game if they get the ball back we'll keep you updated on that until we get off air here in a few minutes really quickly Jason let's just go through a couple of the big games in the NFL uh just give me a, a one-word answer uh uh Bucks Rams who do you like tomorrow that's the one I didn't actually circle I had it oh, written no. down uh well I mean I had it written down but I couldn't figure an answer I, <laughs> I wrote down Rams I'll take Rams all right really quick uh Titans Chiefs Chiefs uh who else we got bears dolphins we didn't talk about that one dolphins is a three and a half point favorite in chicago yeah i got the dolphin i got the dolphins i like the claypool move but i like miami all right well with that said i do think it's time to go really quick before we go want to say goodbye to our board op don brown it's his last day with us db we're gonna miss you it's been fun, guys. We're going to have nobody to talk Miami football with, although there's been nothing to talk about with Miami going forward. So best of luck to Don going forward. We got to go. Thank the crew. Bo, Steve DeSager, Don, for Torres, Jason Martin, Bernie Fratto is next. Fox Sports Radio. Do you love Selena? Like, really love? Whether you saw her live, saw the movie as a kid, or saw her looks all over TikTok, there's no shortage of reasons to stand the Queen of Tejano. And Stan, we do over three whole episodes of our podcast, Becoming an Icon. We're reminiscing as lifelong Selena fans, sharing hot takes and telling her story. Listen to Becoming an Icon on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search Becoming an Icon.